Warzone Fenris. Ten thousand years have passed since Prospero burned. Ten millennia of war and darkness, during which time much has been forgotten and more erased. Yet there are those who know the truth of that terrible day, when a thousand sons felt the Emperor's wrath for their sorcerous transgressions. Some maintain that good intentions led the thousand sons down the road to damnation. Others assert that the Legion were warp-touched sorcerers who deserved their fate. Whatever the truth, the sorcerers of Prospero were judged wanting by the Emperor, and their sentence was carried out by the assembled might of the Space Wolves. Like fiery comets, the wolves of Fenris fell upon Prospero's capital city of Tisca, and drop pods in their hundreds scarred the blue skies black with their smoking trails. The thousand suns wielded forbidden sorceries in their desperation, and wrought great destruction in the Space Wolves' ranks. Still, though, the 15th Legion fought with all their strength and guile. They could not stand before the Fenrisian savagery. The Space Wolves tore through one prosperine battle line after another. At their head charged the ferocious warriors of the 13th Great Company. These were the wolven kind the most feral and savage of an already ferocious Space Marine Legion. Before the roaring bolters and snarling chainswords of the 13th Company, the sons of Prospero fell in their dozens, until it seemed there could be no hope for their survival. But Lehman Russ's invading Legion would be denied their final victory by the Thousand Sons Primarch, Magnus the Red. By his fell magic, did the surviving Thousand Sons escape judgment, fleeing into the Eye of Terror through a scintillating portal, and swearing vengeance upon those they had once called brother. The Space Wolves hunt was done. Prospero had been raised, while the strength of the Thousand Sons was broken and their remnants fled. With full-blown civil war raging throughout the Imperium, Lehman Russ judged that his Legion's strength was needed elsewhere. However, not all of the Wolf King's sons withdrew. The 13th Company pursued the Thousand Sons through their portal, intent on finishing the hunt. Some claim they did this upon the orders of their Primarch. Others say that a madness took the Wolvenkind that day and made them deaf to the Wolf King's words. Whatever the truth, the 13th Company chased their prey deep into the swirling madness of the Eye of Terror, and there they disappeared. They have not been seen since. Horror on Nurandis The warp storm that engulfed the black hive world of Nurandis did so with terrible fury. Its onset was sudden, unheralded by dark portents or empiric disturbance. One moment... The crowded hive world span on as it always had. The next, the planet's skies lit with kaleidoscopic flame and the laws of nature went irrevocably mad. 
Mutation and cannibalistic insanity ran rampant through the trillion-strong populace until the hive cities rang to the screams and gunfire of heretic rebellion. The planet's bedrock convulsed as twisted spires of bone forced their way up from below. Blazing skulls rained from the skies, and wherever they struck, tides of gibbering demons spilled forth to attack the beleaguered planetary defense forces. Seeing the damnation of his world looming, the planetary governor had his astropaths send a desperate cry for help. It did not go unanswered. Weeks passed, and the planet's doom seemed certain. Just when the last embers of hope were burning out, the sea of stars parted for the onset of the Death Wolves. The great company of Lord Harold Deathwolf. Space Wolf attack craft punched through the atmosphere firestorms at blistering speed. The warriors on board, hungry to win glory, and rescued Naradis' people from their fate. Gunships and drop pods plunged to the planet's surface, their blue-grey hulls emblazoned with Lord Deathwolf's ravening jaw heraldry. From within these craft, the Space Wolves surged forth to begin their hunt. Mounted upon his huge Thunderwolf, Icetooth, the Wolf Lord led one lightning-fast attack after another to reclaim the tainted world. At the feet of the monolithic hive Predomitus, the unstoppable charge of Harold's Thunderwolf cavalry shattered the demonic battle line and, after a savage and costly battle, saw a great cohort of blood demons banished back to the warp. Amid the clanking maze of the Industrium Subterraneal, the Death Wolves fought a hit-and-run war against the mass demonic cavalry of the Zentian Herald Slivereist. They emerged from this labyrinthian hell, bloodied but victorious, before going on to break the siege of Hive Genos and rescue the governor himself. As weeks of hellish warfare ground by, Deathwolf remained cold and confident, his military experience and hunter's intuition allowing him to keep his abhorrent foes off balance. With the warp fires dying in the skies... The Death Wolves pushed into the northern polar reaches. Here, a last enclave of demons had claimed a string of abandoned fortifications, long rumoured among the Noridian peoples to be cursed. Fenrisians are nothing if not superstitious, but after the hellish ordeal of the preceding weeks, it would take more than local legend to turn them back. They pushed cautiously forwards into this last stronghold, weary of some final chaos trick. And that trick came. As the Death Wolves neared the heart of the abandoned fortifications, blooming tumble-down bastions and bunkers flared with hellish light, as demons sprang gleefully from behind veils of illusion to attack in ambush. Grey hunters and blood claws were blasted to ash where they stood, as a rain of demonic fire seared down from the battlements above. Snorting juggernauts stampeded into the Space Wolves' midst, smashing power-armored bodies right and left, while their blood-letter riders lashed out with smoking hellblades. Everywhere, moonlit stillness shattered into mayhem as the Death Wolves found themselves fighting on all fronts. Despite the Space Wolves' caution, 
The surprise of the attack was total, and Harold Deathwolf cursed whatever unnatural trickery had confounded his senses. Still, the space wolves fought back hard. Raising bolters and flamers, they blazed away into the enemy's midst, sending sprays of demonic ichor flying. Harold himself led a vicious countercharge, he and Canis Wolfborn hacking their way through a droning mass of plague bearers in an attempt to break free from the trap. They were swiftly driven back, as more warp flame rained from on high, flung by zentian demons that capered across the rooftops. The deaf wolves found themselves caught in a swiftly tightening noose, pelted from above by wave after wave of mutating fire. Fangs bared, they fought back to back, hugging what cover they could against the Zenshin bombardment. It was a defiant display, but Harold Deathwolf could see that if something drastic were not done soon, his warriors would be annihilated. The Wolf Lord's scowl deepened as he gave orders for his Thunderwolf cavalry to mass around him. They would stage a last charge, buying time for their brothers on foot to escape. It was then that the hackles rose on Harold's neck. Massive figures were suddenly loose amongst the demons on the rooftops, tearing into the horrors with astonishing savagery. Michael rained down on the battle, replacing the devastating firestorm of moments before. The Death Wolves raised a howling battle cry, and their eyes widened in amazement as it was answered by a monstrous baying from the figures above. Dispatching the last of their gangling prey, the massive warriors leapt from the rooftops, slamming into the demon horde with their clawed limbs swinging. For a brief moment, Harold Deathwolf simply gaped in shock. The figures were huge. Bestial terrors spattered head to toe in demon's blood. But as they tore into the reeling foe and the deaf wolves rallied to the fight, there could be no mistake. The battered power armor and canine features of the newcomers marked them beyond a doubt as warriors of the space wolves. From the moment the newcomers entered the fray, the tide of battle turned. The hulking beast warriors moved with terrifying speed, stabbing and raking with claws, fangs, and jagged punch daggers. No demon could stand against their sheer animal ferocity. Buzzing plague drones were torn from the air, even as bloodletters and plague bearers were disemboweled or torn limb from limb. Seizing their chance, the deaf wolves surged forward with howls of fury. Axes thunked into unnatural flesh. Demonic limbs and heads tumbled in sprays of sizzling gore. Longfangs, at last given the space to fight on their own terms, sent murderous volleys into the collapsing lines of the enemy. At the heart of the carnage, Harold Deathwolf fought furiously to avenge his fallen packmates, even as he hacked and hewed, dodged and blocked. The Wolf Lord's eyes were ever on the newcomers. Torn and blasted into submission, the last of the demonic horde fell. With their demise, a quiet descended upon the moonlit ruins. The wind sighed forlornly between the crumbling structures. Grit and spent casings crunched underfoot as the deaf wolves recovered their fallen. In the sudden calm, all eyes turned to the newcomers. The huge figures had drawn together into a pack, 
lurking amid the pooling shadows of a ruined bastion. Though their bestial features were obscured, their eyes reflected the moonlight and shone like chips of ice in the gloom. No space wolf made any move to approach, all held back in deference to their alpha. Harold Deathwolf swung down from Ice Tooth's broad back and stalked slowly towards the growling newcomers. The Wolf Lord kept his hands well away from his weapons, wishing to offer no sign of hostility. He kept his back straight and his eyes forward, locking his stare with the unblinking gaze of the largest feral warrior. Slowly, pace by pace, Harold walked from moonlight into shadow until he stood before the massive figures. Even hunched, the creatures looked down upon Lord Deathwolf. Their long, powerful limbs and broad chests were barely encased in ragtag power armor, while their faces were lupine and bestial. Around them hung an acrid reek, a mingling of space marine combat stimulants and animal musk. Deathwolf saw intelligence in their amber eyes and recognized a twisted echo in his own features in those of the beasts before him. It was the faded insignia on the warrior's armor that truly made Harold's hearts beat faster. There, unmistakable, even beneath a plethora of scratches and dents was a Fenrisian symbol not seen for ten thousand years. Twisted and monstrous though they undoubtedly were, the newcomers bore their heraldry of the 13th Great Company, the Mark of the Wolvenkind. The largest of the bestial warriors loomed over Harold for a long moment, a rumbling growl shuddering deep in the beast's chest before he dropped heavily to one knee. The gesture signified warrior nobility, and in swift succession his hulking packmates followed his lead. Harold Deathwolf placed one gauntlet upon the shoulder of the creature's leader, urging him to stand once more. The Wolf Lord spoke then, his words pitched too softly for the warriors of the Great Company to hear, yet none could miss the slurred, snarling response of the newcomer's pack leader. We are brother. We are wolven. The hollow moan of the wind filled the silence that followed. Then, Harold Deathwolf turned away and marched back to where Icetooth stood, with his hackles raised and metallic fangs bared. Harold barked out orders as he went, jolting his gaping warriors into sudden motion. The Deathwolves were done with this world, announced the Warflord in a tone that brooked no argument. The demons were banished and the planetary governor was well capable of pacifying his rebellious population on his own. This new matter took precedence over anything else. These Wolven, Harold decreed, must be brought back to the Fang without delay. If they truly were what they seemed to be, then their appearance was momentous in the extreme. As the Space Wolves made ready for extraction from Nuradis's surface... None could mistake their lord's grim mood, nor could they misinterpret his order for an armed honor guard of grey hunters to accompany 
the wolven at all times. It was clear to the deaf wolves that this historic moment had brought Harold Deaf Wolf not joy, but deep disquiet. Mere weeks after the incredible discovery made by the Deaf Wolves, Chapter Master Logan Grimnar gathered his wolf lords within the Fang. They had made all haste in returning to their home world, and it was considered a good omen that the Sea of Stars had parted calmly before their passage. Now Grimnar and his lieutenants took their places around the Grand Annulus to debate the return of the Wolven. A difficult matter lay before the Wolf Lords. What did the return of these 13th Company brothers mean, and what was to be done about it? Grimnar began by revealing that, in the wake of the discovery on Nuradis, uh, further warp storms had been detected over Imperial worlds from Atraban to Fimnar. The phenomena were scattered, but their distinctive empiric signatures stood out like beacons. Though his speech was limited, the wolf pack leader, who called himself Ingver, had repeated over and over that more brothers were coming, and that they were born upon the wings of the storm. Ulrich the Slayer now spoke up. To the wolf priest's obvious frustration, Ingver could articulate little about his past, but surely asserted Ulrich with eyes alight. The appearance of the wolven was an omen. Russ's own return must be at hand. At this, the hall of the great wolf exploded with shouting. Gunnar Redmoon demanded to see Ulrich's proof of this wild claim, even as Jarl Grimblood warned that this omen might, in fact, be of a darker sort. Egil Ironwolf questioned whether they even knew that these creatures were really the wolven kind. If so, was their bestial form some terrible perversion of the Canis Helix, or a doom that all the space wolves faced in time? Eric Morkai growled back that it didn't matter, so long as they could serve as suitably deadly weapons. At the same time, Bran Redmore surged to his feet in a rage, demanding to know whether Ironwolf thought the same of his famously savage warpacks. So it went on, tempers flaring and insults flying, until finally, Crom Dragongaze demanded they consult Bjorn the Fell-Handed. A tense hush fell, as Ulrich had revealed he had already tried to do so but that the Ancient would not awaken. Ragnar Blackmane spoke up into the silence. It did not matter, he said, whether the Wolven were a gift or a curse. The first priority must be to gather them swiftly, before anyone else did so. Should the Inquisition, or even some of their brother chapters, encounter the returned Wolven, uncomfortable conclusions would undoubtedly be drawn. Though this was met by snarled oaths, all knew that Blackmane was right. There was no further debate as Grimnar issued his decree. The great companies would voyage to the sites where the warp storms raged. They would recover their wolven brothers and would treat them as honoured Fenrisian warriors unless the truth proved them to be otherwise. In return, these returned warriors might lead the Space Wolves to their long-lost Primarch. Upon the orders of the Great Wolf, Iron Priest Swordfang moved amongst the Wolven with his retinue of servitors. Grimnar had decreed that Swordfang must arm and armour the Wolven, readying them to fight alongside their brothers. Cautious at first, 
The Iron Priest soon became used to the feral warrior's presence. Indeed, the more time he spent around the Wolven, the more the Iron Priest found himself filled with a restless energy that he directed into his works. The first step was to determine what of the Wolven's archaic war gear could be salvaged. The battle plate worn by the bestial warriors was little more than scrap. All the same, they seemed reluctant to part with the familiar apparel. Two servitors were dismembered by angry claw swipes before the Wolven were finally parted from their battered armour. It was replaced by power armour, forged by Swordfang's own hand. Its dimensions enlarged and systems adapted to accommodate the Wolven's hulking frames. Once armoured, the Wolven took quickly to their new gear. The enhanced power output lending them speed and strength in excess of anything they had known before. The punch daggers wielded by Ingver and his packmates were clearly effective weapons, but it did not take an Iron Priest's practiced eye to see that, with their massive muscular frames, the Wolven could bear larger and more potent weaponry with ease. After overriding the objections of Harold Deathwolf's sentries, the Iron Priest began weapons trials with a will. To his surprise, Swordfang found the Wolven initially reticent. The huge warriors handled chainswords and axes clumsily. The weapons dwarfed in their huge fists. The feral warriors abandoned such weapons when goaded to battle by the practiced servitors Swordfang provided as opposition, preferring to tear the cyborgs limb from limb. Undaunted, the Iron Priest increased the size and heft of the weapons, while avoiding anything overly complex. Finally, he met with gratifying success when several of the Wolven took to the use of thunder hammers and storm shields. With their massive strength, the Wolven were able to wield these weapons with breathtaking speed, smashing apart one combat servitor after another. The Fang's ancient halls are decorated with relic weapons that date back through the millennia. Many have hung in situ for so long that the Fenrisians saw them as nothing but martial decoration. It was one of these weapons that a wolven warrior took up on the ninth day of the trials, his claws wrapping around the haft of a great frost axe with the hesitancy of dim memory. Swordfang watched as the wolven hefted a weapon long thought purely ceremonial. The Iron Priest's eyes widened, as the wolven suddenly roared and bisected a marble statue with a single thunderous swing. Once the alarmed Grey Hunters had been talked down from riddling the axe wielder with bolt shells, Swordfang was able to fully consider this revelation. If one relic weapon had been made for wolven hands, perhaps there were more. Had such warriors existed in the chapters past, or had their eventual existence been predicted? The search that followed produced further frost weapons of prodigious size, as well as an impulse-triggered grenade module that integrated seamlessly with the Wolven's distinctive pattern of neural activity. Giving orders for the search to continue, Swordfang hurried to furnish Grimnar with his report. The Wolven were ready for war. The Hunt begins. A grim and jagged world, the planet of Svardgul, had provided a rich source of precious ores for the Imperium. Worked for centuries by 
smoke-belching rig cities the planet's hide was gnarled and scarred, while its thin atmosphere had been rendered barely breathable. The damage wrought by the Imperium had only been worsened by the demons of the warp. Churning madness met the Death Wolves as their warships burst from the Imperium. The localized warp storm acting as the Death Wolves' beacon had engulfed Svardgul, and now its energies battered at the Fenrisian ships. Void shields crackled and hull plates groaned as the warp storm pushed billowing tendrils through into real space. Servitors chattered madly at their stations, spooling nonsense or bursting into flames. Every ship in the fleet sustained damage as they rode out the furious warp tides. Vessels and crewmen alike transmuted into ice, dust, or sloping ectoplasm. Harold Deathwolf cursed as he stood on the bridge of the Alpha Fang, listening to the reports. As such was the import of the Space Wolves' duty that they weathered the storm regardless. The fleet would have to withstand orbit long enough to locate and extract the Wolven from the world below. As the Space Wolf sensors swept Svartgul, it rapidly became clear that rescuing their lost brothers, if they were even down there, would be a challenge. A cacophony of terrified screams and helpless pleading clogged every Vox frequency, except for those that resounded to booming inhuman chants or spine-chilling demonic whispers. Harold Deathwolf surmised with a heavy heart that this world was a lost cause and its people beyond rescue. Remote auguries confirmed that every last one of Svedgul's huge, ambulatory rig cities was overrun by unnatural horrors. Many rigs were already blazing charnel houses, and more than one of the piston-legged mining settlements had become possessed biomechanical predators. Rampaging across Svardgul's desolate surface to prey upon their still inanimate fellows. Harold reasoned that there was only one way to find the proverbial icicle in the snowdrift. His great company were trackers and hunters without compare, but could not use their skills trammeled on their ships. The only way to find the Wolven was for the Death Wolves to deploy to Svardgul's surface, scouring the world's habitable zones for their quarry. It would take time, but if anyone had sharp enough senses for this hunt, it was the Death Wolves. Hunting parties of wolf scouts and grey hunters scattered to remote regions of the globe, hoping to pick up the trail of the Wolven. Following a prickle of intuition, Harold had his strike force put down at the last known site of the planetary capital, Rig Delta. The Space Wolves were awed by the destruction that met their eyes upon landing. The towering Rig City had strode across the planet's rocky surface upon eight immense piston-driven legs. It was these limbs that had carried Rig Delta off a high precipice to be smashed apart upon the plains below. Wreckage and mangled corpses stretched as far as the eye could see, curdled demonic ichor dripping and pooling among the remains of the city's slaughtered populace. Even over the stench of blood, the Wolven detected an unmistakable scent. With halting words, pack leader Ingver 
reported to Lord Deathwolf that he and his brothers smelled wolvenkind to the south, mingled with the dried brimstone stink of demons. The source of the windborne scent was many miles distant, but the fact that Harold's force had located it at all was nothing short of miraculous. They had expected this hunt to last many weeks, and hope for a successful conclusion had not been great. The Death Wolves gave praise to Russ for this omen before setting out in pursuit, but Harold remembered the strange intuition that had brought him here, and his disquiet grew. The Space Wolves' loping strides ate up the miles as they crossed the plains beneath the weird, whirling aurorae of the warp storm. Moaning faces and hellish sigils formed and dispersed across the upper atmosphere, but the space wolves ignored them. Their wolf scouts ranged ahead, the wolven kin to their flanks, while the storm wolf gunship Runeclaw followed behind. The death wolf Bloodclaws forming a flying reserve within its capacious hold. Cresting a rocky ridge, Harold looked down upon a scene of madness. The Shatterfields had once been a rich mining site, but years of excavation had left the whole area a broken expanse of spoil mounds, jagged ravines, and dry, cracked plains. Down amid this desolation, the Death Wolves' keen eyesight picked out the distant, hulking figures they had come to find. The Wolven were already locked in battle with a great mass of demonic foes. The bestial warriors were vastly outnumbered and had retreated into an area of sharp rocks where the enemy were forced to come at them piecemeal. As flaming chariots swept overhead, trailing warp flame, and demonettes stabbed at the wolven, it could not be long before the 13th Company brothers were overwhelmed. Harold Deathwolf hesitated for a long moment atop the ridge, before at last raising his frost axe and signalling the attack. There were no howled war cries as Strike Force White Stalker began to lope into a run, then a charge. The horde of demons before them was completely fixated on the Wolven and had not yet realized that the Death Wolves were upon them. Harold and his warriors would make the warp spawn pay for their lack of caution. Strike Force White Stalker ploughed into the enemy's rear ranks with the sudden ferocity of a wolf pack at the kill. Pink horrors were shredded by Boltifer. The rubbery blue simulacra that burst from their corpses cut down in turn. Trailing Slaneshi fiends were chopped to offal by roaring chainswords, while the demonettes that accompanied them fell to searing plasma fire. At the heart of the Shatterfields, the wolven caught scent of their saviors and raised a mighty howl, fighting all the harder with claw, fang, and punch blade. Their kin amongst the Death Wolves' ranks returned the baying call, hacking and bludgeoning a path into the demons' ranks in their desperation to rescue their brothers. Taken wholly by surprise, the demons had seen their numbers cut in half. Such entities knew nothing of fear or panic, though instead responding with spiteful rage. A burning sky host wheeled above the battle, the Zenshin demons plunging down upon their foes with lethal intent. Unnatural chariots whipped over the Death Wolves' lines, their passengers hurling comets of etheric fire that blasted Grey Hunters to ash, or hurled them smouldering and mutating through the air. 
Screamers swept through the Space Wolves' ranks with unnatural grace, lopping off heads and slamming bone spikes through breastplates. In response, Harold ordered Runeclaw into the fight. The Storm Wolf gunship swept low, its embarkation ramp whining down and allowing the blood claws of the Death Howls to spill forth into the fight. The young warriors gave voice to a mighty war cry as they added their strength to the Death Wolf advance. Harold Deathwolf led his wolf guard deeper into the Shatterfields with the baying wolfkin close on their heels. The wolven were still fighting for their lives, and though the enemy ranks were thinning fast, they could not hold out alone. Heavy paws pounded the rocky ground and massive fangs glinted in the boreal light as the Thunderwolves charged headlong through the foe. The sheer bulk of the Thunderwolves was enough to smash lesser demons out of the way, Demonettes and horrors vanishing beneath the beast's claws or being torn apart by the Fenrisian wolves that loped in their wake. Bounding Zenshin flamers spat forth mutagenic fires that engulfed the brave wolf guard, Vigar Helmfang. The storied warrior bellowed in agony as his flesh and armor ran like wax, bone tentacles bursting through the stringy mass to impale his steed. Howling their wrath, the remaining Wolfguard and their lord smashed into the flamers. They chopped the fungal monsters apart with vengeful savagery before pushing on once more. Harold and his packmates were nearing the heart of the battle, a spear tip driven into the heart of the prey. Seeing the Thunderwolves approaching, the Zenshin Herald that commanded the demons had loosed his most potent weapons. Clanking and hissing, a host of soul grinders now surrounded the Wolven pack. The demon engines roared as they swung huge iron claws and crackling blades at the 13th Company brothers, moving with incredible speed. The wolven evaded each blow. Showers of shattered stone exploded from the ground as piston-powered claws crashed down. In return, the feral warriors slashed and battered at their attackers, denting armoured limbs and ripping free great chunks of demon flesh. Even as the riders of Morkai neared the fight, one of the soul grinders plunged its blade through the chest of a luckless wolven before ripping it out sideways in a jetting explosion of gore. The remaining wolven went berserk, their pack leader launching himself high to slam into the torso of the soul grinder before hammering his punch daggers repeatedly through its face. As the demon engine reeled, the Thunderwolves crashed into the fight. The wolf guards swinging their thunder hammers to smash the soul grinder's legs out from under it. The monstrous machine toppled, the wolven pack riding it to the ground before ripping its head clean off its shoulders. He rose, holding his grisly trophy high and howling in feral triumph. Harold and his wolf guard fought all the harder in response to that primal sound. Fenrisian wolf packs leapt and bounded nimbly between the soul grinder's stamping legs, while the space wolves hacked and hewed. Sparks showered as frost blades and thunder hammers smashed demonic iron and brass. A wolf guard was blown from his saddle by the point blank fire of a harvester cannon, while another was crushed by a stamping metal leg. A point blank stream of Acidic bile dissolved a whole pack of Fenrisian wolves in a single horrific blast. 
Another soul grinder was brought down and smashed to scrap. But the third swung one mighty fist and snatched Harold Deathwolf from his saddle. Pistons cracked and servos groaned as the claw began to contract and the wolf lord snarled in agony as his armour and bones began to fracture and crack. Out of nowhere, one of the wolven lunged in to grab the claw's pincers. Roaring with the strain, the hulking warrior pulled as hard as he could until painfully the iron talons creaked open. Pistons buckled and Icor spurted from burst cables as the claw gave way. Harold sliding free to crash to the ground. The enraged wolven tore the soul grinder's forelimb off altogether and spinning on his heel hurled the huge chunk of metal straight into the demon engine's face. Brimstone blood showered down amid an explosion of flesh and shattered bone and the decapitated soul grinder slumped sideways. Harold Deathwolf lucked up at his bestial saviour, who grinned back at him through a mouth full of fangs. The wolf lord spat blood and shuck his head. Looking past the wolven to where Strikeforce Whitestalker were cutting down the last of the demons. Vision fogged with pain. Harold registered that victory had been secured. Though the fight had been fierce, the wolven was safe and the deaf wolves triumphant. The Hell Below Braving the swirling energies and filthy unlight of the warp storm, the Iron Wolves moved into orbit over Midgal Alpha. Embarking their armoured gunships, Egil Iron Wolves' warriors followed the Wolven Auger Trace down through the planet's atmosphere and straight towards the superhive of Irikala. As his gunships roared down towards Irikala's gleaming spires, Igil Ironwolf brooded on the available information about this strange world. Below his craft seethed a thick layer of black and grey smoke, a churning ocean of smog and ash that blanketed the whole globe. For millennia, this world had served as an industrial powerhouse, processing vast quantities of Prometheum for the Imperium's armies. However, some centuries ago, the chemical spoil strata accumulating beneath the planet's crust had caught a light. Once started, the fires had been impossible to stop, and they still burn beneath the surface now, belching forth a planet-wide blanket of pollutants from chasms and craters. This catastrophe had reduced the surface to a hellish realm of flame pits and smouldering chemical rivers. Never ones to waste serviceable planets, the Administratum had simply reclassified Medigal Alpha as a hive world, and used the reclaimed factorum and refinery materials to build a single immense superhive on the world's last viable landmass. This was Irakala, and its creation had largely been a success. Now, however, the hive faced dangers like none it had encountered before. Judging by the pathetically hopeful vox hails from the Hive Spires, the people of Irakala believed the Space Wolves were here to save them. The Iron Wolves muttered and made gestures to ward off evil as the voices on the vox spoke of a terrible plague, swarms of biting insects and an unnatural sickness that had swept up from the Underhive with the warp storms coming. The light of the sun had gone bad, they said, 
turning a jaundiced yellow and causing rust and rot to spread wherever it touched. Foul omens and portents abounded, and before the spires had shut their gates to the levels below, they had received word of otherworldly beings attacking the populace en masse. Egil Iron Wolf wasted no time. Iron Priest Hellhammer reported that the Augur Trace was emanating from down in the very bowels of Irrikala, and if the city was overrun by sickness, there was little the Space Wolves could do to help. Perhaps the Inquisition would come to aid these people, though the Space Wolves mistrusted the Inquisition's particular brand of help. But regretfully, the Iron Wolves and Wolven must be long gone by then. Ordering his followers to ignore the frantic cries of Irakala's damned populace, Lord Ironwolf had his free strike forces descend into the pall of smoke below. Updated schematics showed that the hive's metal skin was raptured and ruined at its lowest levels, mingling freely with the polluted wasteland without. It was here that the Ironwolves would gain swift access to the city. So towering and vast was Irakala that it took some time for the Fenrisian craft to descend to its base through the billowing smoke. Engines laboured as ash-clogged intakes and turbines, while pilots were forced to fly by their instruments as visibility dropped to zero. Through the viewports of the gunship, the Space Wolves watched in silence as a ruddy hue suffused the billowing clouds, becoming more intense as they rumbled in towards their final landing points. Collision hymnals sang out and the pilots wrestled with their controls as towering skeletal ruins loomed up out of the murk. Several gunships clipped some outflung spire of masonry or fire-blackened bridge. Fortunately, Adeptus Astarte's craft were built to withstand incredible punishment and no serious damage was sustained. Finally, with a series of jarring thumps, the Iron Wolves put down in their landing zones... Emerging from their gunships, the warriors of the Iron Hunt scowled into the firelit gloom, taking in their grim surroundings while the strike force's tanks detached from their Thunderhawk landers. The Hive had once sprawled out across this area, but constant subsidence and the hungry attentions of the flames had caused the architecture to crumble and collapse. Chasms yawned amid the tangled bones of ancient walkways, flames billowing up from their depths. Bubbling lakes of tar-like pollutants flickered with weird-hued fires, belching fumes that would have killed an unaugmented human in moments. It was an environment as hostile as any Eagle Iron Wolf had seen, yet the Augur Trace was coming in loud and clear now, from just a few kilometres to the west. Weapons at the ready, the Iron Wolves advanced through the rust-rent skin of Irakala and into its hellish underhive. Eagle's two flanking forces, the Cog Claws and the Steel Pelt Destroyers, were the first vox of enemy contact. A gunfire echoed distantly through the murk, mingling with the background roar of flames and the shuddering of the ground beneath the Iron Wolves' treads. No sooner had the signs of battle reached them than the Iron Hunt found trouble of their own. The first demons shambled from amid the smoke in ones and twos, Cyclopean eyes red-rimmed from the fumes and rancid flesh shriveled by the heat. The Black Wolves cracked off bolter shots at these stumbling targets, felling them with precision fire. However, as the Iron Wolves advanced, the terrain became denser and the packs of demons more numerous. 
the Vindicator, Wrath of Morkai, smashed through a crumbling wall to find itself surrounded by hissing red-skinned bloodletters. Only by reversing hard and firing point-blank to obliterate the infernal creatures did the tank avoid being carved into scrap metal. The Iron Fist rumbled through a shambling mass of plague-bearers with its hurricane bolters blazing, only to become mired in sucking tar-like ooze. The loathsome demons closed in around the tank, their weight forcing it further down into the swamp. The Stormfang gunship Iron Spear screamed in low, its daring pilot jinking between ruined spars to blitz the plague-bearers with heavy bolter fire. Rotten bodies exploded like sacks of offal, stuffed with frag grenades, and with a mighty roar, the Iron Fist dragged itself clear of the sludge. Egil Ironwolf's tank smashed through a tumbled scree of ruins and into the skeletal remains of a shrine. Billowing clouds of demonic flies swirled around the Space Wolf vehicles, and advancing through them came the greatest demonic horde yet encountered by the Iron Wolves. Plaguebearers and bloodletters pressed in upon the Iron Wolves, alongside buzzing plague drones and bounding beasts of Nurgle. Behind them came a rumbling battery of skull cannons, the demon engine's moors drooling fire. Obscured by the thickest mass of foul insect bodies was something huge, a demon prince, blighted by the gifts of Nurgle. This hideous fiend was Mordecai, the rotted, the architect of Irakala's miseries and a living plague upon the worlds of men. Beneath his rusted helm, the demon prince's visage split into a rotten fanged grin, and he raised his blade in challenge to the space wolves. The Iron Hunt surged forwards into battle, Nigil and his Iron Guard charging out at their head and crashing headlong into the demons with blades swinging. Behind them, heavy weapons roared as the long fangs, grey hunters and battle tanks opened fire in a thunderous volley. As explosions burst amid the demons and ruby beams of light tore through them. Lord Iron Wolf and Iron Priest Hellhammer hacked and smashed their way deeper into the enemy ranks. The Iron Priest's auger insisted that they were all but on top of the Wolven and an eagle's omnipresent scowl deepened at the thought he might be fighting to avenge the Lost Brothers, not rescue them. Lord Ironwolf's fears were proved false, as several packs of wolven burst from the shadowed ruins and fell upon the demon's flank. Rending and tearing, the feral warriors ripped a path of destruction through the infernal horde. Some were dragged down or run through by rusted demonic blades, but the impetus of the wolven charge was unstoppable. Letting out a mechanical howl, Lord Ironwolf drove towards the feral warriors, Hellhammer and the Iron Guard fighting furiously at his back. Wolfguard fell, blood spraying and armor sparking as the demons tore and hacked at them. But finally the Space Wolves and Wolven came together at the heart of the melee. The Fenrisian battle line had by now been broken into scattered bands and spread across the ruined shrine. To the rear, the long fangs of the Frost Claws blasted away. Lancing beasts of Nurgle like fat boils and swatting plague drones out of the sky. Eagle's two predators and Vindicator were fighting hard, but all were damaged and on the verge of being overwhelmed. Mayan Hunter's Laz cannons punched glowing holes through a pair of blood crushes, sending them crashing to the ground. Seconds later, there was a monumental roar as the skull cannons opened fire, flaming skulls exploding across the predator and leaving it a mangled, blazing wreck. The Black Wolves 
had been cut off, surrounded by more Nurgle beasts. They hacked and hewed with their chainswords, but the enemy's numbers were against them. First, one grey hunter was impaled and borne into the smoke by a plate drone. Then several more were smashed flat by frolicking beasts of Nurgle, writhing in agony as their flesh was eaten away by acidic juices. Knowing that he had completed his task and realising his iron wolves would be overwhelmed if they remained amidst the hell, Igil bellowed into the Vox for extraction. Barely had he given the order before a shroud of buzzing insects engulfed the Wolf Lord and the Iron Guard and the Wolven. Igil cursed as bloated flies crawled across his armour and bit at his exposed flesh. He swung his wolf claws in energised arcs, each sweep crisping masses of flies out of the air and ripping through the plague bearers pressing in behind. Around him his warriors did the same, fighting on despite the revolting insects that were but harbingers of something far worse. Shoving effortlessly through the ranks of lesser demons came Mordeku, the Rotted. The demon prince's first swipe ripped a wolven's head from its shoulders, before smashing one of the Iron Guard head over heels. His second tore through two more of Igil's Wolfguard, a rusted blade sliding from Mordeku's palm to eviscerate one warrior and punch through the skull of the other. With an articulated howl of rage, Igil plunged his wolf claws into the demon prince's chest. Energized blades ripped through rancid flesh, and Mardoku roared as puss-wet flies spilled from the wound. The demon's backhand caught Ironwolf in the face, breaking his nose and throwing him back into his men with staggering force. The wolf lord snarled and spat blood as Mardoku loomed over him with a slop-wet chuckle. At that moment, the smoke-filled air came alive with roaring light and noise. At Igil's bellowed order, the Iron Wolf's gunships loosed blitzing fire into the demonic horde. A screaming salvo of las cannon fire tore through Mardoku's rotted form, blasting the monstrous entity into a buzzing storm of flies. Heavy bolter fire mowed down masses of the enemy, driving the rest back from the beleaguered space wolves. The demons were forced back into the smoke and flame around the shrine's edge, buying precious moments for the surviving iron wolves to scramble aboard their extraction craft. The cost had been steep. The iron wolves had suffered heavy casualties before their ships had moved in to rescue them. However, the mission was a success, and as the Thunderhawks and Storm Wolves turned their prows skyward, and roared away through the smoke. The rescued wolven were safe within their armoured holds. Shadows and Secrets When the astropaths of Nuradiz cried out in anguish, the space wolves had not been the only ones to heed their call. The Dark Angels, too, had heard the astropaths' message. For them, it held an altogether different significance and an alarming warning. The Dark Angels are a chapter with many secrets, the Sons of the Lion are compelled to hide many things from the eyes of the wider Imperium. Such was the nature of the cache of irredeemably tainted blades known as the Seven Shadows. Such relics could not be concealed upon the rock for fear of the corruption they might spread. Yet the Knights of Caliban themselves had once wielded these swords. The chapter could not just cast them aside. The Dark Angels had instead buried the Seven Shadows in warded vaults that only a company master seal could open, deep below the polar ruins of backwater Nuradiz. Over time, 
The Dark Angel's agents had seeded into local folklore the notion that those ruins were cursed. This, coupled with an annually rotated guard detail of five scouts, had been enough to keep hidden those despised treasures. However, the moment the astropathic choir upon the rock detected Nuradizi's distress call, it was clear that action must be taken. A demonic incursion would draw the eye of the Inquisition. The risk could not be run, that the cash might be found. Responding swiftly, Company Master Arafil and the Lion's Blade Strike Force made haste to Nuradiz, but had arrived too late to save Arahad's squad. The Dark Angels did not leave empty-handed, however. The tainted blades had been recovered without incident, and were now locked in adamantine caskets, ready to be borne away to some other dark corner of the galaxy. The company master had also recovered a survivor, who was immediately transferred to the Apothecarian. Recovered from amongst the polar ruins, the young scout had been identified as Brother Dolatus. A trio of deep rents ran across his chest, made by long claws that had raked clean through his armour to the flesh beneath. As yet, the scout had not surfaced from his healing coma. If the wounded survivor could tell the Dark Angels little, the servo skulls recovered by Arafil and his brothers were more forthcoming. After being repaired as best he could by one of the rock's skilled tech marines, the macabre device was presented before a closed council of the Dark Angels' greatest leaders. Seated around a huge stone table in an arched and shadowy chamber, Chapter Master Azriel and his closest brothers watched stony-faced as the servo skulls played the patchy picked feed that remained upon its memory coil. Though it was but a few moments of footage, the masters of the inner circle watched it again and again. They committed its every detail to memory and analysed it for the slightest nuance or fragment of information that might otherwise be missed. The pick feed was silent, hazed with grainy static. It showed Sergeant Arahad and his brothers crouched within the Nuradian bunker where their bodies had been found. As the picked feed flickered, it showed the scouts rising to blast away through the bunker's vision slits before ducking back into cover. Strange, flickering lights could be seen outside the structure. The picked fuzzed and warped each time those fires blazed. Ezekiel, Grand Master of Librarians, explained that this distortion was almost certainly empiric in nature, a sure sign of demonic activity at the scout's location. It was then that the picked feed took a disturbing turn. The image lurched, as though the skull had been spun suddenly upon its impalers, and then tumbled as something knocked it savagely from the air. As the servo skull rolled to a stop, its cracked lens continued to record. The legs of the Dark Angel's scouts were still visible, braced in firing positions. The flare of bulk gunfire lit the image, before a large, fast-moving shadow raced across the shot. Blood flew, spattering across the bunker walls, and a scout's severed head thumped into view before bouncing away. Again, that massive figure flickered across the image, and it was at this moment that the inner circle returned over and over again. They had to be sure. They could not act on assumption. After several hours, the assembled Dark Angels were beyond any reasonable doubt, but the import of the revelation sat heavily upon them. Slowed down to a creeping frame rate and digitally scrubbed for clarity and enhanced, the figure could just be seen as something huge and bestial, bearing some semblance of a space marine's distinctive build. 
Closer inspection revealed an insignia upon the figure's shoulder, blurred by movement and half-hidden by blood spray, picked out for one crucial second in the flare from a bulk gun's muzzle. It was a Fenrisian wolf's head, displayed upon a scratched and faded field of gunmetal grey. The gathered masters eyed one another from beneath their heavy cowls, silent stares loaded with significance. Something terrible had occurred upon Nurades, and it seemed that the wolves of Fenris were involved. The Dark Angels must not act without more information. Their antipathy with the Sons of Rus was well documented, but they would not, could not, suspect them of such a deed without further proof. So decreed Azrael, and so began the Dark Angels' hunt for the truth. Grim Revelations In the wake of Nurades, mysterious warp storms had broken out across the length and breadth of the Imperium. Though strewn sparsely across the vastness of the galaxy, the strange phenomena touched every segmentum. Others, besides the space wolves, had taken note of their emergence, and were even now moving to investigate. Titan, the silent sentinel, home of the demon-hunting brotherhoods of the Grey Knights, the secret guardians of terror herself. From behind the armoured walls and towering bastions of their citadel, the Grey Knights kept vigil for the threat of chaos. From here, too, they coordinated their secret war against the ruinous powers and dispatched their warrior brotherhoods to strike down the demon wherever it raised its head. The Grey Knights possessed their own well-honed means to monitor infernal activities across the Imperium. This was the Augurium, a chamber atop the Silver Pinnacle, within which the brothers known as the Prognosticers sifted the strands of prophecy from the surfaces of crystalline mirrors. The Citadel of Titan contained other ancient secrets and strange machineries, and it was one such device, the Speculum Infernus, that stirred to life precisely as the first of the strange warp storms roared into being around Nurades. As further storms emerged, the device roused to full wakefulness. Archaic machineries hissed and turned. Delicately worked brass spheres whirled around one another on silvered armatures, crackling halos of light leaping between them. Golden gargoyles, long thought decorative, opened their mouths and vomited forth reams of data parchment crowded with dense arcane sigils. The vast speculum infernus shuddered and steamed, watched with awe by the endangered data savants of the Grey Knights. The warriors of Titan were quick to decipher the device's warning, and their eyes widened in shock at its import. In spooling sigils and upon glowing hollow pictures, the engine showed the pattern formed by the strange warp storms. It also predicted those that had not yet manifested. The prognosticars were summoned to ascertain the strange engine's holy provenance by every means at their disposal. Confident that the speculum's warning was no demonic ruse, the Grey Knights wasted no time in acting upon it. 
An unprecedented number of brotherhoods set forth from Titan, mobilising aboard mighty silver-flanked warships and determined to banish the demons that spilled from the newborn storms. The Templars of Titan soon found the currents of the warp turned savagely against them. Raging surges battered the Greynite ships from the moment they left, the Immaterium lashing out with malice. It could not be a coincidence. The strike cruiser Glorious Light was swallowed by the warp's tides after its navigator died screaming. The rapid strike vessel Sanctified Wrath was overrun in a nightmarish bloodbath when its Gellerfields inexplicably failed. Several other craft were forced from the warp, performing emergency translations that left them stranded while repairs were performed. And battles were fought to eradicate the foul beings infesting their decks. Against all adversity, the Grey Knights pressed on, guided by the Speculum Infernus and drawing upon their psychic fortitude. Several brotherhoods reached their destinations and were soon at war with the demonic foe. On Hades' reach, the Fourth Brotherhood teleported into a hurricane of living flame, there to do battle with a trio of rampaging bloodthirsters and their minions. For two days and two nights, the Grey Knights battled their monstrous enemies while the ever-shifting fire lakes swirled around them. Eventually, Brother Captain Grud and his warriors were victorious, banishing the fiends despite heavy losses. On Thimnir, the massed tanks of the First Brotherhood rolled into battle, crashing through the structures of the gas giant's mining platforms with their tracks churning. Demons poured from every direction to oppose them, soul grinders ripping into blessed hulls with their iron claws, while bloodletters and demonettes dueled with grey knights amid the dark of the void. Brother Captain Pilanus personally slew the great unclean one, Bol Groblort, driving his silvered blade into the abomination's bloated heart. Nothing survived the wrath of Pelanius's warriors. Not demons, not mining platforms, nor the plague-ravaged and reanimated remains of the planet's worker clans. All were rendered equal as ash. So it continued. The Grey Knights purging Ambergul and even Nuradis with holy fire. Yet everywhere they went, they found trace energy signatures, psychic echoes, and the signs of battle. Others had been to each of these worlds before the Grey Knights. Others had battled the demons and, for whatever reason, had been forced to leave before the fighting was done. Brother Captain Stern at last came to Midegal Alpha, arriving mere days after the Iron Wolves had departed. Finding Irakala Hive utterly ridden with demonic plague, Stern led a teleport strike into the depths of the Irakalan Underhive. He hoped to banish whatever arch-demon had wrought this horror. Though it had left his psychic spore smeared across every surface, the demon prince Mordekar was long gone. What Stern found instead was more disturbing still. Living in the rotting foulness of a weak old battlefield, half buried beneath the fetid remains of hundreds of fallen demons, was a strange, bestial corpse. 
The creature's flesh was putrid, its form distorted by some kind of mutant gigantism. Still, the insignia on its pitted armor was unmistakable. Declaring Mydegal Alpha to be Perditum Extremis, Stern returned to his ship and ordered his astropaths to determine, by whatever means, no matter how horrific or costly, the current whereabouts of Logan Grimnar. Brother Captain Stern would have words with the Great Wolf, and he would have answers. The Mists of Tranquillitus or on their lost brother's trail, Sven Bloodhowl's fire howlers broke from the Empyrean directly above the ghostly world of Tranquillitus. Uh, the warp storm that had led his great company here had all but dispersed, but other dangers waited upon the haunted world. Rumbling back into real space, above Tranquillitus, the fire howlers' fleet came straight to combat readiness. Reports suggested this was a strange and dangerous world, a thin spot in reality where some dark and terrible sentience ruled. It was a ghost planet of empty settlements, whose inhabitants had vanished amid Tranquilitus's ever-present mists. Wolf Lord Sven Bloodhowl was taking no chances with such a place. As the Space Wolf ship swept in towards the planet, a sizable craft hove into view through the tatters of the dying warp storm. Helm serves quickly identified her as a Dark Angel strike cruiser. The Silent Oath. Moments later, the Master Vox Bondsman reported contact. The Oath's captain warned that Dark Angel's forces were currently deployed upon the planet and conducting a sensitive operation. The Space Wolf's presence was neither welcome nor required. Snorting with derision, Lord Bloodhowl sent a brief and inventively offensive response. He then ordered Strike Force Saga Blade to mobilise for battle. Sven was here to complete his quest. He had sent it a chance to add to the sagas tattooed upon his skin. In his own words, he would be damned to the Seven Hells if he was going to let L. Johnson's sour-faced chant-mumblers beat him to the prize. Knowing they were hopelessly outgunned, the Dark Angels withdrew to their ship, though not before issuing an ominous final warning to turn back. At the same time, the Space Wolves detected a brief burst of Vox traffic flickering between the Silent Oath and its forces on the planet below. Tranquilitus, was difficult to scry with any degree of accuracy, the world's mists throwing off strange, half-red life signs. Lord Bloodhowl thus elected to deploy close to the coordinates of the Vox Burst. The Dark Angels wouldn't have dropped at random, he reasoned. If they were closing on the Wolven, then the Fire Howlers needed to act fast. Marching towards the embarkation decks, Lord Bloodhowl gave the order that only he and the hand-picked packs of Strike Force Saga Blade would deploy. This would be a drop-ship-borne mission. No drop pods, nothing slower than a jump pack on the ground. Speed was of the essence, and Sven wanted his force ready, unable to be extracted once their brothers had been recovered. 
Minutes later, a pair of Fenrisian Thunderhawks dropped through the mists towards the planet's surface. They put down upon damp greenswood. The mists swirling away in their downdraft reveal gnarled trees and a lake with a surface like black glass. As the Space Wolves stormed down their assault ramps and the Thunderhawks roared back into the skies, the fog rolled in. Soon, visibility was down to a matter of yards, while the cloying, unnatural vapours muffled specks and even the acute senses of the Sons of Ras. Sven's normally ebullient sky claws were quiet and vigilant. They perceived something unnatural about this place, a nebulous feeling of being watched and hunted that would have reduced any but a space marine to terrorised paralysis. In the Space Wolves, it only heightened their combat instincts. Sky Claws, Swift Claws, Land Speeders and Sven's jump-packing Wolfguard, the Bloodguard, made every effort to stay together amid the fog. They pressed on with all speed, following their auspexes through stands of shadow-drowned trees, over rocky hills and through abandoned ghost towns. Always the mist drifted around them, full of half-glimpsed movement and that oppressive sense of being watched. All was still, until the sounds of gunfire and howling burst through the tattered clouds up ahead. Sven Bloodhell fired his jump pack, rocketing through the mist towards the sounds of battle. Around him, The air was filled with the half-seen shapes of his warriors, bounding high upon trails of flame. The wolf lord braced as treetops rushed up to meet him, and he crashed down through the canopy into the gloom beneath. Sven's boots slammed down upon muddy loam, a split second before a hissing demon lunged between the trees. Instinctively, the wolf lord brought up his revving chainsword to parry, hewing the demonette's claw from its arm in a spray of ichor. The thing shrilled with agonized bliss, but only for a second, before Sven's axe struck off its head. Another shape loomed, but Lord Bloodhowl pulled his blow at the last moment, splitting a tree in half rather than the Dark Angel, whose bike skidded to a stop before him. You were told to leave, Wolf, boomed the Dark Angel through his Vox grill. You should have done so. Sven Bloodhell laughed in the warrior's face, his jump back roaring as it hurled him back into the sky again. Make me, he bellowed, hurtling away over the treetops. The distant howls reached out to the space wolves on some instinctive level. The fire howlers knew that it was the wolven who called, and they raised a howl of their own as they surged forward as one. Amid the dense fog, the space wolves' advance quickly fragmented as they pressed forwards through rocky valleys and straggling woodland. The fire howlers now faced constant demonic attack. Slobbering beasts of Nurgle burst from the trees to crush and flail. Demons of Zench lit the mists with iridescent flame, their weird cackles of glee echoing from everywhere at once. (laughs) 
The Space Wolves hacked and slew with furious strength, tearing apart each impediment to their progress. Dark Angels, too, began to appear from the mists. Squadrons of raven-wing bikers hurtled across the Space Wolves' line of advance. The Dark Angels were locked in a running battle with roving demon packs, but their fire whistled perilously close to the Fenrisian warriors. Skyclaws cursed as a raven-wing dark shroud whispered low overhead, veiling them in disorientating shadow. The fire howlers pressed ahead, the ground sloping slowly downhill beneath their churning tyres and pounding boots. Sven led the charge, bounding down the slope in long leaps and hacking apart demons wherever he landed. The Warflord's next leap brought him down amongst a rocky outcropping, within sight of his wolfguard. As he touched down, a pair of land speeders streaked overhead. Just shadows in the murk, it was impossible to see whose craft they were. The flame-spewing demon chariots that harried them were visible enough, though. One of the space marine craft tumbled from the sky, flipping into the mist to explode with a dull thud some way distant. Sven Bloodhowl could only snarl, gesturing to his wolfguard to follow as he leapt on. Far out on the space wolf's right flank, the swift-claw bikers known as Bloodhowl's riders hurtled down a high-sided ravine with insane bravado, fighting a running battle with a grand cavalcade of Slanesh. The Space Wolves weaved between the spinning blades of the Slaneshi chariots, deftly lobbing crack grenades into their workings. A series of explosions echoed along the defile as the chariots came apart in showers of glinting shrapnel, cutting scores of demonic seekers to ribbons. Into the mayhem slammed Ravenwing Black Knights, leaping their bikes down from the lip of the ravine and barging into their swift-claw rivals. No blades were drawn, nor shots fired, but within moments the space walls were skidding and rolling to a halt, bruised and cursing. The Dark Angels roared on, shredding the last of the Seekers with gunfire as they went. The cry of the Wolven rose again, and Sven Bloodhow fought all the harder as he realised how close they were. Seeing the Bloodguard and the sky claws of the Stormbringers fighting close at hand, Sven decided it was time to go for glory. Barking out a string of orders, the tattooed wolflord formed his warriors up and led another hurtling leap into the mists. As the fire howlers flew, a huge black shape shot low overhead. The space wolves had a fleeting impression of dark, forward-swept wings and flaring ramjets. Then the aircraft was gone. Sven and his warriors hurtled across the ground that had turned flat and muddy, giving chase to what must surely have been a Dark Angel's attack craft. As though at some unspoken command, the mists suddenly parted. Sven and his followers saw before them two packs of wolven. The feral warriors were rampaging along the shores of another lake, savaging a horde of demonettes and horrors that scrambled over one another to attack them. Sven felt the blood surge in his veins and charged with his warriors at his heels. Before the fire howlers could reach the fight, however, 
the dark angels struck. The dark shape swept overhead once more, now revealed as a raven-winged dark talon. Sven bellowed in outrage as a bulky object plunged from the craft's underbelly, slamming down amid the wolven. But instead of blowing the bestial warriors apart, the bomb's detonation projected a rippling stasis field that unfolded like the petals of some strange glass flower. One moment, the wolven were raging beasts. The next, they were still as statues, the surviving demons recoiling from the temporal blast. Engines screamed as Grandmaster Samuel streaked in across the lake on his jet bike, Corvex, flying at the head of a squadron of raven-wing landspeeders. A wake of spray fanned up behind the hurtling skimmers, as they swept in for their attack run. The Dark Angels let fly, a storm of plasma and armor-piercing shells, ripping through the demons on the lakeshore and tearing them apart. Sven Bloodhowl skidded to a halt just short of the blast-riddled remains of the demons, his warriors drawing in around him. Samael and his craft shot overhead before looping back around coming in to hover before the assembled space wolves with prow weapons levelled. Looking down his nose at the tattooed, blood-spattered space wolves, Samuel demanded that they account for their presence there and hand over their mutants so that the Dark Angels could deliver them to the Inquisition. Sven Bloodhouse spat on the floor in response. This was space wolves' business, he snarled and the Dark Angels were in his way. Voice soft, but icy cold, Samael warned that the Space Wolves risked censure just harbouring such heretical travesties. They should not make matters worse by making him use force against them. Space Wolves and Dark Angels rested fingers carefully on triggers and glanced at their leaders. Sven Bloodhowl stared insolently, down the barrel of Samuel's plasma cannon, gripping his axe tight. Then, screaming and gibbering, a huge wave of demons swept out of the mists, with blades raised and eyes of flame. Bolts of warp fire tore from the mists, exploding against the stasis field. Its energies buckled under the bombardment of illogical energies, before collapsing like a popped bubble. As a sudden chorus of angry howls rolled over the battle, it was clear to all that the wolven were loose. That primal sound drove all rational thought from Lord Bloodhowl's mind, and he hungered to sink his fangs into warm flesh. With difficulty he wrestled the urge down. The Dark Angels had formed a battle line to meet the demons pouring along the shore. Now was the Fire Howler's chance. And upon Sven's bellowed orders, they rushed to seize the wolven. With no time for subtlety, Skyclaws and Wolfguard barged through the fight to where the wolven were ripping apart their demonic foes. Two to a wolven. The space wolves grabbed their huge kin beneath the arms and used their jump packs to leap away into the mists. The beasts struggled until they grasped their brother's intent. The Space Wolves raced swiftly uphill, 
As they went, Sven activated his armor's teleport homer and ordered Strike Force Saga Blade to converge on his position. Ahead, another hideous swarm of demons hove into view, turning sky claws to mutated slop with blasts of warp flame. In response, the space wolves turned aside, powering up a steep scree slope. The roar of engines signaled the arrival of the swift claws and land speeders. The bikers fell into formation with Sven and his warriors, while the speeders looped back and forth overhead, heavy flamers roasting the demon cavalry that sprinted up the hill in pursuit. The steep climb ended suddenly on a rocky plateau with a sheer drop. The fire howlers did not slow, hurtling towards the cliff edge at suicidal speeds. Behind them, the demons howled and shrieked, Before them, the drop grew closer by the second. With a sudden roar of powerful engines, the fire howler's thunderhawks rose into view, coming up the cliff face with assault ramps yearning wide. In response, the space wolves whooped with exhilaration and launched themselves off into space. For a moment, they soared through the tattered mists, death behind them and below. Then the fire howlers were slamming through the open hatchways of their gunships, bikes skidding to a halt and jump troops running to a crashing stop against the bulkheads within the Thunderhawks' holds. With them came the Wolven, born to safety in the arms of their kin. Sven Bloodhowl's boots were the last to leave the soil of Tranquilitus. The Wolf Lord landing amid his packmates even as his craft fired their jets and made for orbit, leaving their cousins fighting below. Battle for the Dome As the Storm Wolf's assault ramp wind down, fiery lights spilled into its interior. Along with several others, the craft had braved the flame-racked skies of Vicarus in order to land in the shrine city of Absalom. They bore the champions of Fenris into battle and followed the scryings of Njal Stormcaller, who had divined that the Wolven were even now in battle somewhere in this sacred city. To maximize their chances of quickly locating their kin, the champions had broken into small warrior bands. Some landed upon the outstretched marble hands that served as landing pads for the city's vast statue habs. Others dropped among the tangled buildings of the tombplex or the arcing processionals of the Serentum. The Grimnar's storm wolves had put down at the centre of the Grand Assemblies a broad statue dotted square between towering cathedrals. Bloodletters filled the blood soaked plaza, hacking apart disparate bands of militiamen. Corpses were heaped everywhere many aflame or writhing with unnatural putrescence. Meanwhile, the immense pick screens that overlooked the square, previously used for the addresses of the cardinalty, broadcast a constant, screaming bombardment of horrific images and sanity-warping noise. The once holy place was defiled beyond all hope of redemption. With a mighty bellow of rage, Logan Grimnar led the charge into the square, his 
chariot, Storm Rider, swept into battle, and behind it came the Great Wolf's Elite, the King's Guard. Squads of Wolfguard Terminators strode into the gore that swilled across the square, their storm bolters roaring as they opened fire into the demon packs. Mighty dreadnoughts pounded forwards, lumbering into the fight behind the snarling, stomping terror that was Murderfang. At the head of this assemblage came some of the chapter's greatest heroes, Njal Stormcaller conjuring the wrath of the Tempest as Ulrich the Slayer charged with a howl of fury. The fight was brief and brutal, hissing bloodletters, hacking and stabbing before being blown apart or smashed to the bloody ground. Soon the only living things in the square were the champions of Fenris, and a last few Absalom militia who stared in awe. Ignoring the screams from the picked screens, Grimnar looked to Murderfang. Grimnar had risked bringing the bestial dreadnought on this crucial mission, for he believed that Murderfang would share some kin bond with the beings they sought. The wolven dreadnought prowled back and forth, a demon gore dripping from his claws as he scented the air. Then, eyes lighting with feral recognition, the dreadnought turned and pounded away towards a vast scrimshaw arch on the southern side of the assemblies. Trusting the senses of their cursed brother to lead them to their wolven kin, the champions of Fenris followed. In the skies over Absalom, a trio of silver craft screamed through clouds of flame. The wards on each Storm Raven's hull hurled back the unnatural fires, leaving those inside unharmed as they scoured the dying city for their quarry. The Grey Knights had come to Vicarus, Brother Captain Stern leading his warriors on the hunt for Logan Grimnar. Standing in the cockpit of the lead gunship, Stern watched the elaborate spirit auger set into the craft's instrument panel. The device churned with activity, reading surges of warp energy from every quarter. Like islands amid the storm, the bright souls of the Space Wolves stood out across Absalom amid hordes of demonic foes. Stern had eyes only for one rune on the display, that of Grimnar himself. As they approached the Great Wolf's position, Stern had his pilots bank down through the teetering spires of the Shrine City. Soaring between madly tolling bell towers and rooftops crowded with gargoyle servitors, the Grey Knights saw the full horror of the Valkuran incursion. Small bands of battle sisters fought back to back on teetering arch bridges or spiraled stairways, hammering bolt shots into on-rushing tides of demons until they were overwhelmed. Vast clouds of demon flies billowed from the shattered windows of cathedrals, their drone drowning out the screams of the damned souls within. Ill-fated ministorum priests, their robes ablaze with mutating fire, hurled themselves to their deaths rather than be seized by the abominations that had defiled their places of sanctuary. Here and there, the champions of Fenris were glimpsed on the... Ophidium Central, Grey Hunters and Longfangs fired upon an advancing forge host of soul grinders, while on the Plaza of Peace, the demons of Nurgle were blasted to sludge and ash by the psychic fury of a weird storm brotherhood. Gravely assessing the pandemonium below, Stern knew 
that Vicorus was beyond help. This world's damnation could not be stopped. Only the mission mattered. Banking hard, the free storm ravens hurtled into the man-made canyon of the Cathedral Processional. Behind them, a host of airborne Zenshin demons rose from the mayhem. Their riders hurled blasts of warp flame that transmuted the rearmost gunship to lead and sent it plunging down to explode upon the processional below. Turrets swivelled and assault cannons screamed as they span up to speed. As the gunships hurtled up the street between looming cathedrums, they spat soaring lines of fire at their infernal pursuers. Burning chariots rained down as wreckage upon the corpse-choked street below. The remainder of the demons peeled off, uh, whipping away in search of easier prey and leaving the Grey Knights to bear down upon their target. It loomed ahead now, the towering dome of penitence rising to dominate the skyline. Screaming in towards its roof with weapons hot, the Storm Ravens did not slow. Led by the bellowing Murderfang, the champions of Fenris charged between the towering golden doors of the Dome of Penitence and straight into the monstrous horde of demons within. From high up in the Celestium galleries came a chorus of chilling owls as the Wolven welcomed their kin to the fight. Murderfang was wreaking havoc, the moment the howl of the wolven echoed down from the golden balconies, the dreadnought went berserk. Every sweep of his claws sent torn flesh and spraying ichor into the air, and the massed demons gave way, before him like ice upon a ramship's prow. Still the warpspawn filled the floor space of the Dome of Penitence in their thousands. Once this had been a great auditorium, Meant for gathering and worship, shrines to the Primarchs were raised around the dome's circumference, while at its centre a vast golden effigy of the Emperor lifted high a gleaming blade the height of a river titan to touch the ceiling far above. That dome's span was painted with glorious frescoes of swirling stars and winged cherubim, and beneath it hung the great galleries and railed walkways across which the wolven were now hunting demons. The dome swarmed with the terrors of the warp, and the corpses of militiamen, sororitas, and priests filled it in carrion mounds. In scant seconds the demons broke over the champions in an unholy tide, Grumbling plague-bearers and jabbering nurglings lumbering to the attack, abandoning the filth sigils they had been smearing upon the dome's flagstone floor. They met the king's guard with stabbing blades and gnashing teeth, dragging down several of Wolf-Tongue's shield-brothers and Horgoth's all-slayers. Bloodletters and blood-crushers charged across the charnel pit, weathering blitzing fire from the Fenrisians before launching into the fight. Svendar Ironarm staggered as a juggernaut slammed into him, ripping through bonded ceramite and sending a limb, great axe and all, and crashing to the floor in a shower of sparks. Seeing the dreadnought's plight, Nial Stormcaller sent arcing bolts of lightning into the cornate ranks. Demons spasmed as their eyes burst and their unnatural flesh caught fire. The rest of the Ancients of the Fang pressed on, the ground shaking with their fury. From across the dome came a series of booms as cornate skull cannons spat forth their macabre ammunition. 
Detonations bloomed across the hull of the fire of Fenris as the tank surged forwards. The damage only seemed to enrage the belligerent vehicle, which engulfed a swathe of demons in Promethean death. The Wolven bounded into battle, heedless of the perilous drop as they leapt between the platforms of the Celestium galleries. Fungoid flamers and leering Zenshin horrors were their prey, and though one Wolven after another was sent plummeting towards the ground flame, they tore through the demons until iridescent ichor fell like rain. Amidst the mayhem, Logan Grimnar made for the bloodthirster at the Horde's heart. When the space walls had first entered the dome, the mighty demon lord had been aloft, vast rings burying it between the galleries as it chased down the wolven. However, the champion's arrival had seized the greater demon's attention, and down it had swept, wings spread wide and blazing with hellfire. The vast terror landed before Logan Grimnar, bellowing a wordless challenge at the great wolf. Contemptuously, the demon swung its massive axe, swatting one of Horgoth's all-slayers a hundred feet through the air to bounce hard off the statue of the Emperor. The warrior crashed to the floor, vanishing beneath the trampling feet of the battling armies. In response, Grimnar leapt from the running board of his chariot and charged at the blood-soaked cornate demon. Other enemies surged to meet the great wolf, but were hurled back by the claws of Grimnar and the hammer swings of Arjek Rockfist. This would be a fight for the sagas. Logan Grimnar battling a bellowing bloodthirster of corn. To fight such an abomination could well be the death of the great wolf, but he would not shy from so great a challenge, nor leave his packmates to fight in his stead. As Grimnar charged, the bloodthirster sent its barbed lash snaking out to ensnare his legs. The great wolf sidestepped the lightning-fast blow, even in his Terminator armor, swinging his axe in a whistling arc. Such a strike would have cleaved apart a dreadnought, but it was blocked with a thunderous clang by the bloodthirster's blade. Grimnar span away, avoiding his foe's savage backswing, and punished the towering demon's chest with stormbolt fire. The bloodthirster snarled as the shots cracked its breastplate, before driving Grimnar back with a series of lightning-fast blows that left blood running from a half-dozen wounds. Engulfed in the vast black shadow of the demon's wings, Logan raised his axe ready for the next onslaught. At that very moment, a great section of the ceiling exploded inward, tumbling down with an almighty crash upon the battle below. Masonry rained down, smashing through the Celestium galleries and tearing away the gantries. Howling madly, the wolven leapt from gallery to platform to statue, riding the wreckage down to the ground below. Most of them survived. Two silver-hulled storm ravens descended through the shattered dome. The gunship's engines screamed as they shot low over the battle before swooping in to land. The bloodthirster spared the craft a furious glare, recognising those who had banished it in ages past. Wounded but determined, Grimnar seized his chance. With a roar, the great wolf swung the axe Morkai and lopped off the bloodthirster's whip arm. The mortal enemy would have died there and then. The bloodthirster barely flinched. Grimnar and the demon exchanged a furious flurry of blows. 
axe blades clanging like a blacksmith's forge. Shrugging off a mighty blow, the towering bloodthirster raised one cloven hoof and kicked Grimnard in the chest, cracking ceramite and breaking the black carapace beneath. The demon roared in triumph as Grimnard's guard collapsed, but as its axe arced down to deliver the killing strike, it was met by a crackling blade. The Great Wolf glanced to his left, eyes narrowing as he saw the silver-armored Terminators who had cut a path to his side. What? Grimnar's instincts howled a warning and he dove aside as the Bloodthirster struck. Its axe shattered flagstone where the Great Wolf had stood. The blade swept out again, felling a trio of paladins with a single swing. In response, the leader of the Grey Knights stepped in, forcing the Bloodthirster back with mighty swings of his sanctified blade. Lord Grimnar! shouted the swordsman over the din of battle. I am stern of the Grey Knights. I demand your immediate surrender. Ignoring the agony of his injuries, Grimnar surged back to his feet with a scream of servos, barging one of the Grey Knights aside and hammering his axe straight into the bloodthirster's breastplate. Ikor gouted forth and the demon's knees finally buckled. "'Your pious butchers aren't welcome here,' growled Grimnar, wrenching the axe Morkai from his foe's chest with a sucking squelch. "'This is our saga!' Grimnar's next swing took the bloodthirster's other arm. "'Ah, fight!' the axe Morkai struck off the demon's head. "'Ah, business!' As the demon's corpse fell sideways, The Great Wolf turned angrily to face Stern, face spattered with blood, dripping axe clutched in one fist. I speak with the Emperor's voice, Grimnar, and I accuse your chapter of harboring mutants. I further believe that your warriors have invested a number of incursion war zones, then departed from them at great cost to the Imperium. Grimnar scowled at Stern volunteering nothing. So do you deny these things? continued Stern. I confess, Great Wolf, I had heard much of the Space Wolves, but I did not believe you to be cowards who ran from wars unfinished. Grimnar growled low in his throat, stepping forwards so his cracked breastplate clanged against Stern's. Careful, Demon Hunter, you go too far. A long moment of tension crackled between the two warriors. Grimnar turned away first, his duty to his space wolves overriding his dislike to the newcomers. He nodded with satisfaction as he saw that, though their fight had been neared as desperate as his own, his champions of Fenris had done themselves proud. The demonic horde within the dome had been annihilated, though the cast-in lives had been steep. The majority of the wolven had been recovered alive, and now banded together behind a solid wall of Kingsguard. As the massive figure of Arjak Rockfist loomed at his shoulder, Grimnar shook off his champion's offer of assistance. He would not show weakness before the Grey Knights, no matter how severe his injuries, and so stood, swaying but unaided, as he addressed Stern. You had accusations to make, brother captain. The Grey Knight frowned at the bestial wolven, panting and snarling with battle's exertion. 
They were clustered around the armoured form of Murderfang, the huge dreadnought, quiet for once as it shared some kind of unspoken communion with the feral warriors. These creatures, began Stern, his grey knights moving to stand behind him. They are mutants, yes? They are kin, replied Grimner, his voice cold as a Fenrisian winter. There is no taint in them. It's complicated. No, Lord Grimnar. It is extremely simple, replied the Grey Knight. First these things came from the warp, and only my brothers and I are fit to judge if these kin of yours are corrupt. They must be handed over to us immediately, as must any others you have recovered. We will see to it that they... Reach Titan safely. Grimnar watched Stern's face carefully for a moment, his expression unreadable. Then the great wolf gave a coughing, pain-racked laugh. Stern, I'm sure you think you're being very reassuring, but there's as much chance of you taking the wolven as of me giving my crown to a blubber seal. I'd see our brothers dead before I handed them over to be cut apart and studied. Stern nodded slowly, taking in the army of space wolves that now surrounded his small band. Forcing your cooperation at this juncture would prove costly. The Grey Knight shook his head to scattered chuckles from the Kingsguard. Oh, we won't lose that many men, Brother Captain. After a long moment, Stern began to speak, his words carrying to all the space wolves in the dome. As they listened, their faces curled into dangerous scowls. The Grey Knights saw much, said Stern, thanks to their powers of precognition and astropathic interception. No secret was beyond them. So it was that Stern's astropaths had caught fragments of an urgent communique meant for Grimnar's own. The great wolf bristled, but before he could speak, Stern pressed on. The Grey Knight's tone was damning as he announced that while the wolves chased mutants to the far reaches of the Imperium, the Fenris system itself had come under demonic attack. A dangerous silence greeted these words. In the distance, the sounds of battle rumbled on. Eventually, Logan Grimnar spoke. If this news were true, he said, then the wolves of Fenris would be recalled at once and woe betide those who had loosed such devilry. However, if this were some ruse by Stern to cut the quest for the wolven short, then no force in the galaxy would save him from the space wolves' vengeance. Unmoved, Stern established a box link with his shipboard astropaths and ordered the fragmented message passed on to Grimnar's own. The communique had been hurled forth in great desperation, explained Stern. It had been jumbled and shattered by malevolent interference. Only the skill of the Grey Knight's astropaths had seen the missive recovered even in part. As the seconds passed, the space wolves muttered among themselves and cast black looks at the Grey Knights who stood ramrod straight in their midst. Finally, Grimnar listened intently to his Vox transponder before turning to face Stern. The message had been confirmed. Its etheric signature was definitely that of the Fang's astropathic choir, while its portents and symbols were dire indeed. Stiffly, the great wolf thanked Stern for bringing him this warning, and asked that the matter of the wolven be set aside until Fenris's safety could be assured. 
All Space Wolf forces would be recalled to the Home System's defense at once. Stern agreed and offered his aid. Grimnar growled an assent and was turning away when Stern's parting words stopped him dead in his tracks. The Space Wolves must beware, warned Brother Captain, for something greater and darker was at work here than had yet been revealed. He knew this because the warp storms that the Space Wolves chased had not appeared at random. Rather, their placement formed a vast sigil, one that only appeared in the Grey Knight's oldest lore, and that had not been seen for ten millennia. From Spathia four to Atrapan, from Thimnir to Hades' Reach, the warp storms, writ large, an ancient symbol of vengeance, last used by the sorcerers of Prospero, the Thousand Sons. And so it was, with as much haste as the warp could offer, the forces of the Great Wolf and the Grey Knights made a haste for the Fenris system. By the time the Great Wolf's fleet reached their rally point in the Anverheim system, the recalled great companies of several other wolf lords had already arrived. With those forces, the wolf and amongst them, Grimnar intended to make straight for the Fenris system. It swiftly became apparent, however, that matters would not be so simple. The moment Lord Grimnar's ships entered the Anverheim system, it was clear something was amiss. Aboard his flagship, All Father's Honor, Grimnar listened to a barrage of incoming Vox chatter. Alarming and contradictory reports overlaid one another, and the Great Wolf shared a grim luck with Ulrich the Slayer. Clustered near the third moon of Medibrax, the warships of Harold Deathwolf, Eagle, Ironwolf, and Sven Bloodhouse Great Companies waited in Luke's formation for the coming of their king. In their midst was the honor ship Coldfang, sitting apart from its brothers like a leper amidst a crowd. It was from this craft that many of the urgent Vox hails came, though the wolf lords also clamoured for their great wolf's attention. Grimnar opened Vox channels to all three of his lieutenants, as well as to battle leader Hilvard aboard the Coldfang. Conscious of Stern's battle barge sitting in mute judgment of its poor prow, Grimnar ensured the exchange was as heavily encrypted as it could be. He then angrily demanded that his brothers take a hold of themselves and explain exactly what was going on. The truth was even more alarming than Lord Grimnar feared. Since the quest began, the Cold Fang had waited in the Anverheim system, its role to gather and rearm the rescued Wolven for their triumphal return to Fenris. Several Wolflords had sent back swift warships with Wolven packs aboard, pressing on in search of more lost kin even as these first returnees were received aboard the Coldfang. To begin with, everything had gone to plan, the Iron Priest successfully equipping the 13th Company Brothers with Hrothgar Swordfang's newly adapted armour and weapons. More Wolven continued to be ferried back from far-flung war zones, and as their numbers grew, something strange began to occur on the strike cruiser. The Wolven became ever more restive, so much so that their Alpha Pack leaders struggled to control them, Numerous servitors and even a handful of crew bondsmen had been injured or killed by Wolven lashing out at random. At the same time, 
The Grey Hunters, tasked with watching over the Wolven, became ever more quarrelsome and aggressive. Tempers flared. Curses were hurled. And bloody fist fights broke out on the decks of the ship. By the time the rallying call came, and the free wolf lords brought their own recovered wolven to join the throng, matters were deteriorating rapidly. Outright anarchy threatened. Alvard snarled that a madness had descended upon the Coldfang. Every Fenrisian knew that the mark of the Wolven could seize a battle brother in the heat of battle, could even transform him in extreme cases. On the Coldfang, it seemed as though the mark's symptoms were manifesting in every warrior aboard. Several had succumbed altogether, their bodies and minds devolving until they were indistinguishable from the 13th Company. For now, the ship's frightened Huskar crew, unaffected by the mutation, were still in control. But for how long? Voice strained. Harold Deathwolf reminded his brothers that his instincts had warned him of something terrible all along. What if this behaviour was not restricted to the warriors aboard the Coldfang? Already the other wolf lords were reporting instances of unruly behaviour and increased aggression among packs on their own craft. Fights had broken out between packmates. Blood had been spilled. These wolven were not a boon, Harold warned. They were a curse. At Harold's words, Logan Grimnar's grip tightened on the arm of his command front. While we travelled, the Stormcaller subjected our kin to every test he knows, Deathwolf. Grimnar bit out. I insisted on it. There is no chaos taint here, none. Perhaps not, rumbled Egil Ironwolf. But there is something amiss, some sickness, perhaps. My optic auger read biochemical hyperactivity in my warriors. Their blood stirs. Grimnar looked to Ulrich again, where the wolf priest stood beside his throne. The slayer's face was rigid as graven granite, and Grimnar knew that his old mentors still believed the Wolven to be the Primarch's heralds. There would be no clear counsel from that quarter. Grimnar shook his head angrily. He would not believe that their kin were cursed. Something was at work here, but it must be some outside influence. The mischief of a foe to be slain. We make for Fenris at once, Grimnar decreed, his tone brooking no argument. And upon our arrival, the Wolven will fight at our side. The Space Wolves will defend our homeworld, and we will do so together. Architect of Woe The Fenris system seethed with horror. Tendrils of madness coiled from the dark of the void. The raw energies of the warp tearing at the Space Wolves' domain. Demons beyond count spilled forth from crackling rents to fall upon vassal militia detachments and Space Wolf defense forces. It was a catastrophe of appalling scale. As the ships of Logan Grimnar's fleet crashed back out of warp space and into the Fenris system after long weeks of violent transit, Vox and Orspex alike came alive with tales of terror. On Valdramani, Svelgard, Frostheim, and Midgardia, every moon and planet but Fenris itself, the ruinous powers had struck with gleeful fury. 
Logan Grimnar was not fool enough to believe the timing of this invasion was coincidental. But for now, there was no time for anything but the desperate fight to save the Fenris system from damnation. Only once that war was won would the culprit be hunted down and made to pay in blood. The truths Grimnar desired were closer than he knew. As the Space Wolf's ships appeared on the outskirts of the Fenris system, the mastermind of their miseries marked their arrival. Looming over a blood-spattered August screen on Frostheim, Lord Viadus Skyler of the Alpha Legion watched intently as the runes denoting the Space Wolves' vessels flickered into being. The Chaos Lord showed no reaction as the Fenrisian craft began to power in system and deployed their forces in defence of their beset worlds. When he was sure that no further signifier runes were going to appear, Lord Skyler left the auger and strode across the command chamber of Morkai's keep. He walked to the cracked and blackened armor glass of the chamber's observation window, stepping over the decomposing corpses of slain space wolves. No effort had been made to clear away the aftermath of the Alpha Legion's attack on this fortress. The dead still lay where they had fallen, rotting amid heaps of spent shell casings and scorched craters. Lord Skyly stared out over the defense lines that spread around the base of the fortress. Down there, his legionaries were readying themselves for the onslaught to come. Bastion emplacements were being coaxed back to life, autoloaders clattering as the guns guzzled ammunition. Chaos space marines herded shivering cultists through the thigh-deep snow, forcing them into position behind armoured barricades. Demon engines prowled, the snow melting before their furnace heat. The Alpha Legion also had the aid of the Dark Gods. Just as warp rifts had opened upon the other worlds of the Fenris system, here a breach had torn open atop the glacier to disgorge the demons of Korn and Zench. Skyler knew better than to trust the entity's claims that they were his servants, but they would fight for him when the time came, and that was enough. Morkai's keep stood atop a glacial mesa that loomed over the frozen wastes of Frostheim. The Alpha Legion had banished the fortress's alarm spirits and rendered them inert during their attack, but even so, there would be no way the Space Wolves could sneak up on Skyly's forces. Not that the Wolves would be inclined towards subtlety upon discovering what had been done to their home system. They would be coming for the Alpha Legion with fangs bared. In truth, it didn't matter. The Alpha Legion had completed their task. The Great Ritual was done. Nothing could stop it now. The warp rifts blossoming across the Fenris system would multiply, vomiting forth the unnatural energies of the Empyrean. A tide of demons would drown the Space Wolves' worlds, and even as they strove to protect their domain, the Fenrisians would damn themselves beyond redemption. So it had been prophesied. So the Despoiler had decreed. Loosing the Wolves As the Space Wolves' warships powered in system, Grimnar divided his forces between Svelgard, Frostheim, and Populus Midgardia, while grudgingly requesting the aid of the Grey Knights in securing Valdramani. Even asking these outsiders for help was not so contentious as his next order. 
The Wolfen were divided into murder packs and ferried from the Cold Fanged to augment each great company. Those wolf lords who protested were shouted down by the furious Grimnar. The Space Wolves needed every warrior to defend their home. The Great Wolf would not allow the trickery of some unseen foe to deny them the aid of the Wolven at this crucial moment. That, he asserted, was surely what their foes intended. The Space Wolves owed it to their returned brothers not to cast them aside. It was a thin straw to grasp at, but enough to secure the grudging compliance of his wolf lords. Svelgard, Frostheim's turbulent ocean moon, was the first world to feel Femrisian retribution. It came in the form of Sven Bloodhowl and his fire howlers. Svelgard was the site of the main Fenrisian system defence network. Known as the Claws of the World Wolf, this string of missile silos dotted the chains of volcanic islands that rose from Svelgard's seas, and its skyscraping missiles posed a threat to any warship navigating the Fenris system. The control hub for this network, a fortified nexus named the World Wolf's Lair, was located on the largest southern island. It was upon this site that the Fire Howlers descended in force, determined to reclaim control of this crucial asset. As Sven Bloodhowl charged down the assault ramp of his Stormwolf, his augmented senses took in the battlefield at a glance. Having come down on the rocky ridge overlooking the World Wolf's lair, his warriors were pouring from their dropcraft, eyes wild and chainswords revving. Below them, the fortified compound seethed with demons, the vile beings who spilled from every bunker and strongpoint in their eagerness to attack the sky-born intruders. To one flank of the compound, the ocean frothed madly, sick luminescence shining in its depths. To the other, the island's volcano reared towards the sky. Lord Bloodhowl knew that the compound must be retaken with all haste. The claws of the World Wolf could be vital to reclaiming the Fenris system. A concerted attack was needed. Yet, the moment the Fire Howlers barreled from their craft, they launched themselves down the slope in ragged packs. The howls of the Wolven rose over their headlong charge. The feral warriors, loping amidst their brothers with thunder hammers and great frost axes, raised. Sven's great company howled in answer. Jetting forwards at their head, the wolf lord bayed as loud and as wildly as any, an animal rage burning in his eyes as he smashed into the demonic horde. Space wolves and demons hurled themselves into the fight with no thought for tactics or restraint. It was as though a madness had seized the fire howlers, their swift claws and sky claws leaving their battle brothers in their wake as they charged wildly down the ridge. A bestial savagery surged through their packs and saw them claw and bite at their foes, bludgeoning with gun butts and hacking madly with blades. Lord Bloodhowl fought in their midst, his expression as feral and savage as any of them. The demons of the Svelgard incursion responded to this reckless attack with glee. They spilled from every bunker door and shattered bulkhead, raising a wordless war cry. 
For days they had been hunting the last of the Layers garrison or fighting suddenly amongst themselves. Now here came a foe to corrupt and defeat, and the demons would not waste their chance. Launching themselves skyward from the fortifications of the World Wolf's lair, the bloodthirster Vorhak flapped heavily into the air. The demon threw back his bestial head and gave vent to a mighty bellow, a roar that was matched by the volcano that towered over the battlefield. Molten brass and screaming skulls rained down upon the scene, spat from the mountains more, and through the rain of destruction the bloodthirster charged. Vorhak, the annihilator of Zahn, hit the space wolf vanguard like a battering ram, slamming down amongst them. The bloodthirster swatted a land speeder from the air with his axe. His second swing split three sky claws in half, soaking the ground with their blood. Bellowing, Vorhak kicked a wolfguard pack leader in the chest and sent him tumbling away, before cutting his axe up under another sky claw's chin and smashing him a hundred feet into the air. Blood rained down upon Vorhak as the bloodthirster ploughed on deeper into the fight. Taking their master's lead, the rest of the demonic incursion hurled themselves at their foes, while the brass-shod demons of corn charged straight up the centre. Verdig, Rus, Talibrand, and the infernal servants of Zench moved to engulf the Fenrisian's flanks. The fight that followed was savage and desperate. For several saga-worthy minutes, there, those elements of the fire howlers that had charged recklessly ahead were forced to fend for themselves against impossible odds. Naxes thumped into demon flesh. Power armor was rent and sundered. Bike engines roared and the cries of dying sky claws filled the air. Then, finally, the rest of the great company reached the edge of the fortifications. The demons were so intent on overwhelming the space wolves, they didn't realize the danger until the main bulk of the fire howlers crashed into them. Some of these space wolves had been driven just as blood-mad as their faster kin, a few even loping into the fight as fully transformed wolven. However, many grey hunters and long fangs had managed to keep their heads. These warriors now advanced into point-blank range and opened fire upon the encircling demonic forces. A soul grinder that had just dismembered several swift claws was struck in the side by a vindicator shell and blown to gory scrap. Heavy bolter rounds thumped into the sky, soaring lines of fire crisscrossing as they punched screamers and burning chariots out of the air. The demons were caught in the open and shredded by a roaring gunfire, or driven back into the compound in disarray. Though their flanks were collapsing, Vorhak and his cornate demons were still wreaking havoc in the centre. Sven Bloodhow was locked in battle with a hissing cornate herald, fighting furiously just to hold the demon at bay. He could do nothing to intervene as the bloodthirster smashed its way through his battle brothers, making corpses of heroes with every swing of its axe. Then, with a mighty chorus of howls, the wolven murder pack struck. Having circled their prey through the madness of battle, they came at the bloodthirster from every angle. Returned 13th Company and newly turned fire howler wolven fighting as one. Stormfrag, auto-launchers drummed. 
Stitching four hacks, monstrous form with explosions, and the moment before the wolven sprang. The bloodthirster caught one wolven mid-leap, his axe swings smashing the warrior back and over the roof of a bunker. At the same time, a thunder hammer cracked into the bloodthirster's jaw, and a frost axe hacked through his right wing, all but severing it in a spray of ichor. More blows rang from Vorhak's armour or stabbed through his iron-hard flesh, and the bloodthirster bellowed in fury. Another swing of the bloodthirster's huge axe hacked two more, wolven apart, and before a blow from the weapon's pummel hammered another into the ground hard enough to leave behind a gore-smeared crater. Howling with incandescent rage, a wolven pack leader lunged inside the bloodthirster's guard and buried both frost claws into its breastplate. In return, Vorhak smashed a pack leader aside, leaving the claws snapped off and protruding from his chest. Seizing his moment, another wolven swung his thunder hammer with the force of a Fenrisian avalanche and drove the icy blade straight through Vorhak's black heart. The bloodthirster's axe hit the ground with a clang like a tolling bell. Moments before, its owner toppled backwards with black blood jetting from his chest. As the cornate demons reeled in disarray, Sven Bloodhow seized his chance and struck the head off the herald he was fighting. The wolf lord stepped back, panting with exertion as he surveyed the battlefield with eyes from which the madness had fled. Many of his wolven were slain and dozens of space wolves besides. Their bodies lay between great mounds of twitching demonic dead that even now rotted away to nothingness. Sven's grey hunters and longfangs were purging the last of the foe from the compound, driving them back into the sea with their gunfire. The world wolf's lair was secure, but the cost of victory had been steep indeed. The Fierce Eyes Oath Bound by his oath to defend the Fang, Wolflord Crom Dragongaze had been forced to look on powerless as madness engulfed Fenris's sister worlds. Another Wolflord might have discarded their oath in favour of action, but the fierce eye still remembered his failures on Alaric Prime. He would never trade duty for self-aggrandizement again. From the moment the Fenris system came under attack, the Fang's Vox galleries and astropathic choir were driven to a frenzy of activity. Every day brought fresh tales of disaster, every day brought demands from Crom's warriors to take the fight to the foe, but Lord Dragongaze held his post despite his rage at the destruction being wrought. On Crom's orders, the Fang's astropaths hurled messages into the void until their minds bled calling the wolves home. After days of waiting, everything happened at once. Even as Grimnar's warfleet broke warp on the edge of the Fenris system, an urgent message crackled through Crom's vox. Bjorn the Fell-Handed had woken at last. Leaving orders for his wolfguard to appraise Grimnar of the strategic situation, Crom rushed down into the depths of the Fang, Stepping from the grav lift into the shadowed catacombs, Dragongaze found a group of iron priests and wolf priests already gathered around Bjorn's sarcophagus. The ancient dreadnought stirred at the fierce eye's approach, chains rattling around him and Vox Grill rumbling to life. In strained tones, 
the Dreadnought revealed the secrets of his slumber. So ancient and powerful was Bjorn's spirit that while he slept, he had stood vigil from atop the hexagrammatic ramparts of the Fang's echo in the warp. It was from this vantage point that Bjorn had spied demons gathering in the beyond, and from here that he had fought them off since before even the first Wolven were returned. Even now, part of his spirit still battled within the Empyrean, but he had broken away to deliver a vital warning. Bjorn had, that very hour, felled a mighty demon that scaled the ward wall with blade in hand. Even with Bjorn's boot upon its neck, the demon had choked out a mocking laugh. It had crowed that the Silver Templars were walking into a trap upon the Wolf Moon, and that their deaths would seal the Space Wolves' doom. Bjorn knew as well as any that demons lie, but he had felt the truth of this terrible utterance, and so he had risked a partial awakening to bring his warning to whomever could heed it. Crom must go, Bjorn urged. He must make all haste to Valdarmani, and there he must prevent whatever catastrophe was about to occur. The Battle of Morkai's Keep As the fire howlers fell in fury upon Svelgard, the warships of the Death Wolves rumbled into orbit over Frostheim. Here, the renegade forces of the Alpha Legion had seized control of Morkai's keep, putting the fortress's space wolf garrison to the sword. It was a cruel insult that could not go unpunished. Harold Deathwolf snarled as the Alpha Fang's specs confirmed Chaos Space Marine Vox traffic upon the world below. Such traitors held a special place of loathing in the Wolf Lord's heart. The enemy signals emanated from Morkai's keep, hunched atop its glacial perch on Frostheim's equator. The Death Wolves had encountered only one enemy warship in high orbit, and the craft had plunged into the warp at their approach. Better yet, sensor auguries confirmed that the keep's defences were without power, though they did read trace empiric emanations from deep within the glacier. A current of feral excitement ran through the Wolfguard gathered in Lord Deathwolf's strategium. Evidently, the traitors had exercised the machine spirits of the Keep's defences when they attacked, leaving its fearsome Icarus batteries and sentry guns lifeless and inert. It seemed as though the renegades had underestimated the speed and severity of the Space Wolves' response. The Death Wolves would punish them for their presumption. They would savage the foe while his throat was bared. Then discover whether these strange warp readings had anything to do with the madness engulfing the Fenris system. Harold's Wolfguard roared their ascent. The normally taciturn hunters, boisterous and aggressive as they made for the embarkation decks. The Death Wolves' plan was simple. Morkai's keep was a mighty fortress, located within concentric rings of static defences. It possessed excellent fire lines that would allow its garrison to slaughter foes approaching on foot. Instead, Harold's warriors would attack from above, exploiting the absence of the keep's otherwise lethal flak screen to mount a full aerial assault. It would be swift and bloody. The truth of that assertion came as the Space Wolves' attack craft roared down through Frostheim's atmosphere. 
As the first drop pods plummeted into range, warning hymnals rang out from their alarm speakers. Seconds later, explosions stitched the air as the supposedly inert air defences of the keep roared to sudden life. First one pod, then another, exploded with horrific force, their blazing wreckage shedding burning corpses as they span away into the frozen wastes below. Throughout the Space Wolf's assault force, messages of alarm flashed back and forth. Through the sorceress aid of their Zenshin demon allies, the Alpha Legion had masked the energy signatures of the fully operational defences. They had laid their trap and the Death Wolves had dived straight into it like idiots. Committed to their attack run, the waves of Fenrisian gunships screaming down behind the drop pods now found themselves plunging into a cauldron of flak and mutagenic warp flame. Armor glass windscreens cracked and exploded inward as shots marched across them. Armored hulls were torn open or melted away, the craft's passengers clinging desperately to bulkheads and restraints as they tried to avoid the terrible plummet to their deaths. The Space Wolves' craft opened fire and return, but the drop pods below hampered their accuracy. Explosions blossomed around Morkai's keep as missiles and laser blasts stabbed downwards, but the damage was nowhere near enough. Worse was to come, as a flight of Alpha Legion Helldrakes burst from concealed caves in the glacier's flanks, swooping through the snow and hail with predatory shrieks, the demon engines hurtled into the descending craft to rip and tear. Several of the draconic craft were blasted from the sky by the determined efforts of Stormfang gunships, but the rest tore through the Death Wolves with horrific effect. Hades' autocannons riddled storm walls with hulls, Brass talons, eviscerated adamantium hulls, sending flaming craft tumbling down to explode amid the keep's defences. The death toll climbed by the second. Despite the losses, though, the Death Wolves fought on. All around Morkai's keep battle raged. The Death Wolves fought furiously to drive back their ambushes, and with the howls of the Wolven filling them with savage vigour, they were beginning to build momentum. So potent was the influence of the Wolven that some Death Wolves had given into it entirely, devolving into savage beasts before the horrified eyes of their packmates. The brutality of the tangled point-blank battle was such that neither side noticed a small band of warriors clamber over the northern lip of the glacier. The storm wolf carrying the wolf scouts known as Fingar's Cold Eyes was clipped by flak early in the battle. Damaged and belching smoke, it overshot the fortress and slammed down on an ice shelf jutting from the glacier's flank. Unperturbed, the veteran scouts on board had simply shouldered their gear and scaled the ice cliff. Now disaster became good fortune as they prepared to assault the keep from an apparently unreachable and lightly defended quarter. Led by their pack leader, Fingar, the wolf scouts ran through the snow, crouched low with their guns held to their chests. With every step, the looming wall of the keep drew closer. From Away across the glacier, they heard the thunder of guns and the bellowing roars of demon engines. A distant explosion shook the ground and sent shockwaves shuddering through the pall of smoke that drifted over the battlefield. But here, 
in this neglected blind spot, the wolf scouts advanced unimpaired. They scrambled uphill through an ice-cut drainage channel, their yellow eyes fixed upon the keep that loomed above them. Hauling themselves over the lip of the channel, the wolf scouts made a last dash across open snow before skidding into cover at the base of the keep's north wall. The fortress loomed before them, fire pouring from its gun emplacements and vision slits to shred any space wolves that drew near. With swift gestures, Fingar ordered his pack to stand back and stand ready. Flashing his fangs, the veteran warrior detached a melter bomb from his belt, slammed it against the fortress wall and hit the arming rune. Moments later, the bomb seared a breach in the wall of Morkai's keep and the wolf scouts surged inside. The first the Alpha Legion knew of the infiltration was when a blaze of bulk gunfire blitzed the keep's command chamber. Two Chaos Space Marines and a handful of cultists fell to their initial salvo. The rest dived for cover behind cogitator banks and consoles, returning fire at the cold eyes. Even as the battle raged beyond the armor glass of the observation window, the command chamber played host to its own furious gun battle. Leaning from behind a console, Fingar vaporized the Chaos Space Marine's head with his plasma pistol, Another Alpha Legionnaire rattled off a volley of Baltifar, blasting craters in Fingar's cover before being punched off his feet by the shots from a pair of wolf scouts. Seizing his opening, Fingar vaulted his smouldering cover and dashed to the primary control lectern. It was from this blinking console that the keep's door locks and external defences were controlled, and the wolf scout knew from his briefings that its destruction would leave Morkai's keep wide open. Fingar had never been one for technology, distrusting the Iron Priests and all their strange secrets. In the field of blowing things up, however, none had ever had cause to question his prowess. Ignoring the fusillade of autogun fire that rattled around him, Fingar liberally fastooned the lectern with his remaining crack grenades and melter bombs, and before taking a running dive into cover behind the biggest console he could see. The explosion that followed was sufficient to blow the chamber's armor glass out in a jagged blizzard and raise a grin on Fingar's grizzled features for the first time that day. Horror on Midgardia Of all the worlds in the Fenris system, the poison greenhouse of Midgardia was the most populous. It was also the most challenging environment in which to wage war, necessitating Logan Grimnar's deployment of not only his personal champions of Fenris, but also the armoured might of the Iron Wolves. Midgardia was a world well defended from conventional attack. An ancient Nova Cannon watched the planet's skies, while the Magma Gates, a network of towering hive fortresses, guarded the main entrance to Midgardia's network of subterranean settlements. Even the planet's environment was a deterrent to attack. The surface was a toxic hell of spores, created by the vast fungal trees that made up its strange jungles. Underground, the lava-lit caverns in which the Midgardian people made their cities were connected by winding tunnels and treacherous, easily defensible hanging walkways. The foe that now assailed Midgardia was anything but conventional. As the ritual of convergence was completed, 
warp portals had yearned wide both above and below Midgardia's surface, vomiting out tides of gibbering hellspawn. This enemy had no spaceships to shoot down. They did not fear to breathe the toxic spores of the surface, for they did not breathe at all. By tearing their way through the minuscule of reality, they bypassed many of the underground strong points that would have held normal invaders back for weeks. By the time the space wolves rushed to Midgardia's defense, the world was all but lost. Filled with a vengeful fury, Logan Grimnar devised an attack plan as aggressive as it was ambitious. He divided his forces into two massively oversized strike forces. Strike Force Fenris, consisting of the bulk of the Iron Wolves, along with the armoured elements of Grimnar's own great company, struck from the skies against the demons that besieged the Magma Gates. Aided by thunderous orbital bombardments, this Strike Force drove the Infernal Foe back. They rallied the surviving Midgardian Defence Force regiments, swept the Hive's shielded ramparts clear of demons, and drove Spear of Rust formations out from the magma gates until nothing demonic remained standing within twenty miles. Strikeforce Morkai, comprising Grimnar, his Kingsguard, all of Eagle Iron Wolf's Terminators, and both great companies Wolven, teleported directly into the caverns and tunnels beneath the magma gates. This unnatural method of deployment drove the Wolven wild and saw their murder packs rampage furiously through the scattered demons that infested the tunnels beneath the Midgardian hives. Ikor ran in rivers as the Wolfguard joined the battle, more than one succumbing to the Wolven curse in the process. Though many great sagas were cut tragically short by demonic blades, the slaughter was total. Within hours, Strike Force Morkai held the gates to the underworld. Waiting only for planetary defence regiments to descend into the depths and join him, Logan Grimnar ordered the advance. His forces and those above would form twinned cordons that would advance outwards from their starting positions and purge all before them with fire and blade. The two forces, armoured tanks and transports on the surface, Terminators and Wolven, below, would keep pace with one another using Vox Exchange and by tracking the teleport homing beacons. Midgardian forces would move up behind them, plugging gaps and holding conquered terrain as needed. The demons would be systematically purged from both subterranean and surface war zones, with none escaping the Fenrisian's wrath. On the surface, the spore mists were so thick that only sealed armoured vehicles could safely advance. As it crunched and ground through the bloated purple foliage, Strike Force Fenris discovered that the powers of chaos had already wrought horrific changes here. The Space Wolves found the fungus trees growing obscenely bloated, like boils about to burst. Rot spread dark fingers across the trees' quivering trunks, and a thick, mucal sludge wept from them to form nauseating, sticky swamps. The stench from these pus bogs was so foul that it penetrated even the hulls of the Iron Wolf's tanks while the muck itself clogged tracks and bogged the vehicles down. It was a strike force Fenris founded in this foul terrain. The demons of Nurgle struck. Plague drones buzzed down from on high while beasts and plague-bearers rose up from the milk-white, 
fetid swamps, the slime dripping demons closed in around the Space Wolves' tanks. Swaves of the foul beings were hammered back into the muck by heavy bolters and las cannons, or shattered by iron priests' hell frost pistols. Still more and more demons arose, tearing tanks open with their unholy strength. Worse was to come as the Space Wolves disembarked to defend their tanks. To their horror, they found the jungle spores eating through their eye lenses and armor seals and into the flesh beneath. Even as they battled the groaning demon hordes, the warriors of Strike Force Fenris could feel their flesh rotting and sloughing away. Soon the advance had stalled altogether, space walls fighting just to hold their ground. In the underworld, Strike Force Morkai was having problems of their own. The squads had made good progress at first. The demon packs that roamed the underworld were scattered and disorganized, more of a murderous rabble than an organized army. Amid the hot, claustrophobic confines of the tunnels that connected each hanging settlement, the individual might of the Terminators and Wolven counted for much. The psychic lightning of Grimnar's rune priests and the devastating weaponry of these iron priests scoured whole caverns cleared of taint in minutes. The further the subterranean forces pushed outward, the more thinly spread they became. When the surface forces stalled under heavy attack, Strike Force Morkai advanced without surface support. In doing so, they exposed themselves to attack from demons filtering down through tunnels and vents from the surface. Entire elements of the Strike Force were soon surrounded, caught to the fore by the demons of Zench and Slanesh and to the rear by the rotting tally bands of Nurgle. The Space Wolves fought like heroes from the first sagas. Heavy flamers roared, filling demon-choked corridors with cleansing flame. Wolven howled madly as they launched themselves into battle, talons and axes ripping unnatural flesh while their storm frag auto-launchers thumped out volleys of grenades. For all their heroics, the Space Wolves' subterranean advance had slowed to a crawl, and their casualties were appalling. The only exception was the force led by Logan Grimnar and Ulrich the Slayer, whose combined fury and zeal had seen them push ahead into Settlement 529, known locally as Deepspark. Typical of Midgardian settlements, Deepspark was a township built upon metal walkways and platforms, suspended from the rocky ceiling high above. Far below, lava bubbled and steamed lazily, its hungry glow lighting the cavern like some scene of hell. It was as the Space Wolves reached the middle of this deserted settlement that warp portals split the air around its edge. Screaming and gibbering, a host of demons surged towards the Fenrisians. Looming at their heart came the architect of this sudden ambush, a quartet of towering demon princes, an infernal tetrad. Had Eagle Ironwolf been present, he would have recognized the foul Mordaku from the depths of Ikala. Advancing alongside this fly-blown horror came Akjar, world slayer of corn, Zenchar of Zench, known by countless cults as the Living Labyrinth, and Malignigal, needle-tongue, a live-limbed and lurid prince of murder. The power of the Tetrad radiated through Deepspark like a physical force. 
But Grimnar refused to be cowed. Roaring in challenge, the great wolf ordered the charge. The two forces crashed together with incredible fury. Cornate cannons boomed, showering Grimnar's forces with blazing bone. Thunderhammers slammed into demonic flesh, blasting hellish horrors apart with loud booms. Storm bolters thundered. Demon princes roared and hacked and smashed. Terminator plate crumpled. Blood sprayed. Soon, the very platforms on which Deep Spark sat were shuddering with the violence of the battle. Ulrich snarled and swung his crozius, tearing away a demon's face. We could see the monstrous demon princes battling the wolven that surrounded them. The demons had been bloodied but were causing carnage in return. Ulrich hated them all the more for it. These wolven were blessed of Russ. The bringers of the Primarch's gifts and heralds of his return. To see them laid low by warp filth disgusted Ulrich more than he could say. He swung his crozius once again, swatting a demoness from the back of its freakish steed. Blasphemers! Warp spawn back to the pit with your scum! Ulrich's crozius swung again, smashing a flame thing aside with killing force. Suddenly... Grimnar was before him, noble features twisted in an animal snarl. Ulrich was pleased to see even Grimnar touched by the Primarch's blessings. Those who said curse were fools. Russ would never have left his sons a legacy of harm. Whatever thought came next disintegrated, as a massive taloned fist connected with the side of Ulrich's head. The world tumbled, and suddenly the Slayer was on his back, Ears ringing and blood in his mouth. Ulrich watched blarily as the infernal tetrad waded into the space wolves, hurling a wolven through a habut. The Nurgle-blessed demon prince vomited a great cloud of flies that filled the air with their mindless buzz. Ulrich saw the cornate demon prince ram its blade through the chest of a wolfguard terminator before ripping the sword upwards to bisect the warrior in a shower of blood. Another of the towering fiends, this one bearing the mark of Zench upon its unnatural flesh, flickered through the fight like a jumping pick reel, blasting bolts of mutating fire into the space wolves that surrounded it. Behind this sorcerous abomination, the Slaneshi demon prince danced and whirled, lopping off heads and plucking out eyes with monstrous grace. The fiend's dance was suddenly and violently interrupted as the axe of Morkai hurtled through the air, whipping end over end to bury itself in the demon prince's leering face, charging in and ripping his blade free from the staggering monster's skull. Logan Grimnar turned in time to block a hammering blow from the cornate demon prince, Reading the blade style of Corn Berserker as clear as words on parchment, Grimnar cut under Ark Gar's titanic swing to spill the fiend's molten blood. Auric's shout of encouragement was drowned out as the Zenshin Demon Prince threw back its head and screeched a deafening string of impossible words. As suddenly as they appeared, the demons vanished, leaving in their wake a thunderous rumble. Ulrich's eyes widened with horror as he watched cracks race through the cavern's walls. Pummeled and torn by the force of the warp, 
The cavern of Deep Spark began to shake itself apart. Auric had just time to see Grimnar lunge protectively over the prone form of a nearby wolven before a thundering storm of rock and stone crashed down and everything went dark. The Demon Snare Brother Captain Stern ducked, warp flame roaring over his head. Scowling, the Grey Knight reached out and chanted a rite of banishment to hurl a swathe of fangoid flamers back into the Empyrean. Demons of Zench and Slanesh flowed across the marble floor in a seemingly endless tide. Stern stood as one of a tight circle of Grey Knight's battle brothers, fighting to hold back wave upon wave of the foe. Already the Grey Knights had hacked, blasted and banished what felt like hundreds, and still the demons came. Worse, Stern knew that this was but a diversion, a spending of foot soldiers meant to pin the Grey Knights in place. The greatest danger was from the roiling build-up of psychic energy that shivered the air around them. Every Grey Knight could sense it, even without the Psy trackers in their armour. For to those with the gift, it was akin to a rumbling volcano about to erupt. Fighting on with mechanical efficiency, Stern mentally reviewed the events that had brought them to this. From Orwit, Valdemani, the Wolf Moon, had been revealed as a barren ball of crags and blood-red sand, bereft of atmosphere and lashed by radiation flares from the Fenrisian star. In these hellish environs, the Space Wolves had established the dome plex of Longhow, fortified and shielded against the planet's hostile conditions. It was from here that an astropathic relay hurled messages from the Fang out into the void. It had been from here, too, that the distress call had come. It was evident now that a heathen cultist, a puppet of the Alpha Legion impersonating a Fenrisian Huskar, must have sent it. Such was the cunning and veracity of the message that it had been enough to lure the Grey Knights in. Only when the storm ravens of Stern's force were plunging groundwards did the city's Nova Cannon awaken, blitzing columns of ruby fire into the heavens. Caught by the sudden ambush fire, the Grey Knight's battle barge was torn in two. By the time the ship's gun decks awoke, it was far too late. That once mighty starship now rained down as fiery wreckage upon Valdemani's surface. The Grey Knights had blasted their way into the fortified city only to discover not hapless imperial citizens, but seething hordes of demons and shrieking cultists clad in the colours of the Alpha Legion. And then there was the psychic build-up, an increasing empiric reaction that was swiftly reaching critical mass. Stern could sense that when it peaked, the subsequent explosion would annihilate the city and the Grey Knights with it. Doubtless, that was the point. What he could not determine was, was it all some devious ruse of the ruinous powers to make the Space Wolves look culpable for the Grey Knights' deaths? Or was he witnessing the first act of open betrayal by a great wolf driven mad by the corruption of chaos? The Winterbite was a Nova-class frigate, a sleek, fast warship, 
that had borne Krom Dragon Gaze and his personal elite, the Fierce Eyes Finest, from the Fang's space docks with commendable haste. A canny tactician, the Winterbite's captain brought his craft in through the drifting wreckage of the Grey Knight's battle barge, using the shattered remains to screen his ship from the deadly cannons lurking below. As the strategic situation became clear, Krom's worst fears were confirmed. The battle barge had been destroyed by a sudden massive salvo of Nova cannon fire. Whatever the rising psychic signature from the surface meant, he couldn't imagine it portended anything good. There had been no time for Krom to speak to the Grey Wolf, but he could easily surmise that the Grey Knights must have come for the Wolven. If Stern's men were wiped out in a trap now, Krom could well imagine how the remaining Grey Knights might react. It seemed the demon's warnings rang true. That in itself gave the Wolf Lord a sudden feeling of disquiet. But he quickly cast it aside. Captain, growled Crom urgently. Keep your craft concealed and ready to storm wolves. I need to get down there now. Bloodthirster, roared Stern, pointing his blade in warning. A second later, the vast demon smashed its way into the dome through the southern bulkhead. The demon made straight for the brother captain, swooping over the heads of the demonic horde to crash down in their ranks, bellowing the bloodthirster smashed demonettes and horrors aside before sending its blood flail rattling out. Shoulder to shoulder with his brothers, striving to hold back the tides of demons before him, Stern could not avoid the blow. The brazen hammer slammed straight into his chest, denting silvered armour and cracking the black carapace beneath. It was a testament to Stern's incredible fortitude that, though he staggered, he did not fall. Still, blood dribbled from between his lips, and his breath came in wheezing gasps as he levelled his storm bolter and fired back. The demon snorted a laugh, ignoring the bolt shells impacting against its iron-hard skin. It whipped its blood flail above its head, preparing to lash it outwards once again, and Stern gritted his teeth for the blow to come. It was at that moment that a loud Fenrisian shout burst from his Vox relay. Grenats incoming, Brace! Without conscious thought, Stern maglocked his boots to the metal decking and prepared for a blast. In the next second, the entire west wall of the dome exploded inward, Missiles and las blasts annihilating the rad-proof crystal glass in blooms of searing flame. Immediately, the scream of escaping atmosphere filled the dome. Though the Grey Knights were locked in place, the demons had no such protection against the vacuum. Stern watched in amazement as, wailing and howling, his foes went tumbling away across the atrium, sucked out of the gaping rent to plunge hundreds of feet to the red sands below. The Bloodthirster was the last to be taken, wings beating furiously against the suction of the void. Yet, out it went, slamming bloodily against the jagged plasteel of the breach before spinning away with a muffled howl of fury. Stern, his helm locked in place against the vacuum, watched wordlessly as a trio of Space Wolf's craft hovered into position outside the breach, and his saviours leapt from their open ramps into the atrium with weapons drawn. As the blast of the atmosphere leached from the atrium dome, the Space Wolves and Grey Knights wasted no time in making for the North Bulkhead, beyond which a transit corridor stretched away to the 
Corostorium. A swift blow from a power fist persuaded the bulkhead's override panel to activate, sending the metal door grinding up into the ceiling. The Imperial warriors ducked through, heads lowered against the atmosphere howling out past them, before manually dragging the bulkhead back down, as the door's pneumo bolts locked and air pressure equalised. Crom and Stern pulled off their battle helms. Crom, dragon gaze, had with him his fierce eyes finest, a retinue of favoured warriors drawn from all ranks of the Drake Slayers. First amongst this warband of heroes were the fierce eyes Wolfguard, a proud and ferocious pack of veteran warriors led by the redoubtable Berowick Winterfang. These warriors had fought alongside their fiery-tempered lord during the darkest hours of the war against the Red War, and neither Xenos nor Demon gave them pause. Next came the other hand-chosen warriors of Crom's personal cadre. They outnumbered the surviving warriors of Stern's force, made up of a small and solemn band. It only consisted of ten other warriors, left from a force of more than twice that number. Despite the icor that spattered their armour, the warriors of Strike Squad Daradus seemed to glow with a holy radiance that drove back the creeping shadows of this demon-infested place. The Battle Brothers of Terminator Squad Vervox stood ready for battle, their brows drawn thunderously down and their nemesis weapons crackling with energy. The two bands of warriors watched each other carefully, weapons gripped tight. Then Crom barked a humorless laugh and introduced himself and his men. He would accept the Grey Knight's thanks later, the Wolf Lord growled. For now, they had work to do. Brother Captain Stern knew Dragon Gaze was right. The energies flowing from the astropathic Corostrium, I said it right that time, were reaching their peak, exerting a throbbing pressure within his mind that felt ready to burst. He had to make a choice, either to trust these newly arrived space wolves or to strike them down as traitors. The moment stretched long, stern, staring at Crom, as if seeking to divine the thoughts behind the wolf lord's eye. Finally, the grey knight held out one mailed hand in greeting. Crom gripped it fiercely, and both heroes' warriors relaxed their grip upon their weapons. They had to move, stated Stern, without preamble. Whatever the demons were doing, it was almost done. Crom nodded, and the two warriors led their followers at a run down the long gallery-windowed corridor. A piercing whine carried on the air, rising in volume and setting the space marines' teeth on edge. Spectral fire flickered along the walls, while the doors of the Corostrium churned with screaming faces that pressed out from beneath their golden surface. The space wolves forked signs to ward off witchcraft, stern noting the gestures without comment. Crom went to shoulder charge the writhing portal, but stern motioned him back, raising one hand and splaying his fingers. The brother captain began to chant the thirteen verses of negation, his brothers swiftly joining him. Their words crashed forth as hammers of holy sound, the syllables forming into glowing motes that coalesced into a blazing orb. 
Suddenly, Stern stabbed his fingers forwards, the gesture hurling the blast of psychic might down the corridor and blasting the doors apart in a shower of smoking shrapnel. Crom growled appreciatively at the raw destruction before throwing back his head and loosing a feral howl. His warriors joined the wordless war cry before charging headlong into the blinding jade light, spilling through the blasted doorway. Stern and his battle brothers followed. The Chorostrium was a spacious iron crystal dome whose tiered cradles gave the astropaths an unobstructed view of the portent-filled star field above. The energies of chaos had transformed the chamber into a scene ripped straight from some ecclesiarchal vision of hell. The astropaths still inclined in place, but their bodies had melted like wax, becoming screaming lumps of meat tallow fused horrifically with the cradles that held them. From the eye sockets of each... Roaring torrents of jade power poured into a vile sigil that dominated the chamber's metal floor. The glyph pulsed with warp energies, searing out like a sun on the brink of supernova. The Imperial warriors had barely a moment to register the glowing glyph. The mutilated astropaths and the gibbering soul ghosts that whirled around the dome's ectoplasm-smeared ceiling. The next second... A furious hail of firepower rained down upon them. Cultists snapped stern of the box. In cover behind the cradles. Petty little men scoffed Crom in return. Drake slayers put them down. A hailing gale of gunfire erupted at the Wolf Lord's command. Crom and his battle brothers blitzing the tiered astropathic galleries with fire. Jets of flame consumed tormented astropaths and screaming cultists alike. Ripping volleys of bolt shells detonated flesh and sent blood jetting all the way up to the crystal ceiling. As the astropaths burned or burst asunder, the energies flowing into the hellish sigil stuttered. Green light strode wildly around the chamber, and hairline cracks shivered through the Chorostrium's crystal dome as overpressure battered its structural integrity. Commendable vehemence, commented Stern with approval. Lord Crom, keep them busy. My warriors and I will finish this. Brothers, the right of nullification. Waves of wild energy were cascading from the sigil now, the metal decking glowing and bubbling all around it. The Grey Knights advanced like men walking into a gale, buffeted by malefic energies as they bellowed their ritual chant. The sigil's light wavered and dimmed. In response, a booming voice echoed across the chamber. Recognising words from the ancient and abhorred scrolls of Magnus, Stern snapped his gaze up to see a cruel-faced dark apostle. The demagogue emerged from amid the sigil's searing energies, biting out the last words of his infernal incantation. The next second, a pyrokinetic shockwave exploded amidst the Grey Knights. With their energies focused upon nullifying the demonic glyph, they had nothing left with which to defend themselves against this sudden attack and were hurled from their feet. Stern pushed himself upright in time to parry the thunderous overhead swing of the Apostle's mace. 
The force of the attack staggered him, as did the next three crashing blows. The apostle battered Stern's guard like a madman, crashing his weapon down on the Grey Knight's shoulder hard enough to break bone. With a furious roar, Stern rallied and swung his nemesis sword double-handed, swatting the apostle's mace from his hands. Reversing his grip, Stern drove the point of his weapon deep into his foe's chest and out of his back. The apostle dropped to his knees, but even as blood bubbled between his lips, the priest forced out an agonized laugh. Very good. You make your carrion god proud. But now a real god comes. Kneel before the majesty of Zincha. The Space Wolves' firepower had all but annihilated cultists and astropaths alike, but a stern ripped his blade from the body of the Dark Apostle. The light of the sigil redoubled in strength. A screaming, soaring note filled the dome, and as it swelled, a wave of demons burst from the radiant glow. At their head came the Zenchen demon prince, Zinchar, the sorcerous abomination blasting three paladins to ash in a heartbeat. In his wake came leaping flamers and horrors, their warp flame licking out to turn half of Red Fist's blood claws to screaming glass. With bellows of fury, Crom Dragon Gaze and his warriors hurled themselves at this new threat. Chainswords roared as they carved demonic flesh. Bulk pistols boomed, blasting sulfurous gore into the air. Crom was a dervish of destruction. Every sweep of his axe cutting down another foe. The tide grew by the second, more and more empiric creatures surging from amid the sigil's glare. That light had now become blinding, a psychic force that thickened the air like treacle. Stern hacked at the demons surrounding him. Amongst them he could see islands of silver and grey, his battle brothers fighting furiously to survive. It was not enough. The Imperial Warriors could slay a thousand demons, but they would still be annihilated by the sigil's blast. Brother Captain Stern knew what he must do. Ripping free from the claws and tentacles that scrabbled at his armour, Stern whirled his blade in a wide arc to clear a space. Dropping his shoulder and blazing away with his storm bolter, the Grey Knight barged through the demons until he stood just feet from the howling, pulsing sigil. With a whispered prayer to the Emperor, Stern raised his blade high and plunged into the light. Across the chamber, Zenchar swatted a grey hunter aside and beat his mighty wings, making to leap after Stern. Instead, he crashed to the ground as a howling figure slammed into him from behind. Grinning, Krom came up shooting. Shrugging off the pummeling shells, Zinchar rose with a shriek and drove his massive sword through Dragon Gaze's shoulder. The demon prince gathered his sorcerous might to finish his mortal prey, but snarled as an amplified prayer boomed from within the sigil's glare. Every demon in the Chorostrium, I can't say this word, I'm sorry, threw back their heads and screamed as one. One moment the sigil was bomb and gateway both. The next, its energies were turned in upon themselves by Stern's right, a wave of banishing force thundering through the chamber. Crom watched in awe as the energies of the warp were turned against the demons, sweeping them wholesale from Valdemani. A sudden quiet descended, 
as the demons vanished and the light of the sigil guttered and died. In its place, blade driven into the symbol's heart, armor scorched and seared, Stern rose slowly to his feet. Wisps of smoke curled from the grey night as he offered Crom a nod of thanks. Blood welling from his shoulder, Dragon Gaze returned the gesture. The trap had been defeated. The demons had been driven back. There was yet hope. War Zone Fenris. The fate of the Fenris system balanced upon a knife's edge. Svelgard's orbital defences were back under the Space Wolf's control, but the planet's islands and ocean seethed with demons. Morkai's keep had been retaken only at great cost, and the energies of the ritual enacted there were still tearing open new warp rifts throughout the system. Of the situation on Valdemani, little was known save that the Grey Knight's battle barge had been destroyed while still in orbit. News from the Midgardian front was dire, the Space Wolves' attack foundering and all contact lost with the Great Wolf himself. Worst of all, across the Fenrisian war zone, the curse of the Wolven waxed strong. Even the most veteran warriors strove desperately to restrain the animal rage that threatened to master them, while many of their younger packmates had already devolved into ravening beasts. The Space Wolves had no idea whether they were gripped by a viral phage or a soul sickness, a genetic legacy or some curse of the unworthy. None could escape the fact that their chapter faced a battle not only for its home system but for its very soul. It was into this cauldron of mayhem and strife that the Dark Angel's fleet emerged. Auger alarms blared and vox blurts raced back and forth among the great company's fleets, Multiple contact runes flashing into being on Orspec screens. Imperial ships by the dozen tore from the warp, shedding skeins of tendrilous madness as they raised void shields and brought lances and turrets online. Within the Vox galleries of the Thang, bond serfs and wolf-headed servitors listed off signifier codes as their auger sweeps detected them. Dark angels, ultramarines, iron hands... A dozen chapters besides, knightly houses and Astra Militara mass transporters. A stir passed through the observers as an enormous and distinctive signature appeared amidst this mighty assemblage. The rock itself, floating citadel of the lion's sons, had entered Fenrisian space and was even now powering in towards the embattled worlds. As the news filtered down to the embattled wolflords, Alarm warred with relief in the hearts of each. It was a rare Fenrisian who would acknowledge the need for help, but there could be no denying that reinforcements were sorely needed. However, the Space Wolves had striven to keep the matter of the Wolven from Imperial eyes until it could be understood and resolved. Now, with demons infesting their worlds and whole packs of warriors struggling to fight off the Wolven curse, even the most obtuse Space wolves could see that the wider Imperium might judge them harshly. As they fought on, the Space Wolves kept one eye on the heavens, waiting with trepidation to see whether this crusade fleet came as saviors or executioners. They would not have to wait long. As they broke into separate spearheads and bore down upon each world of the Fenris system, 
The Crusade craft made little contact with the Space Wolves, even as the rock itself rumbled steadily closer to Fenris. Their responses remained sombre and by rote. The Dark Angels had come to excise the taint of the demon. What they did, they did for the good of their brothers, no matter the cost. Soon enough, concern turned to outright alarm. The corridors of the Fang echoed to booming voices and the thrum of titanic generators as shields were raised and firing solutions cogitated. These were precautions only, the Space Wolves told each other. Surely none would doubt that they remain loyal servants of the Allfather. Such doubts had become all too possible for the Dark Angels. The deaths of Ahad's scouts on Nuradis had been but the first step along a dark path of accumulating evidence and growing alarm. Next had come Samiel's return from Tranquilitus. Uh, the Ravenwing Grand Master maintained a stony veneer before his subordinates, but in close session with the inner circle he had been deeply troubled. Samael had seen the Space Wolves turn their backs on brother Space Marines, placing the survival of aberrant mutants above Samael's own battle brothers. The cost in Ravenwing lives had been steep, but the damage done to the Space Wolves' reputation was more severe still. Surely, argued Samael, the sons of Russ must have been led astray by some demonic trickery. Worse news followed when the rock's master of Astropath, Asconditus, brought his lord a string of deeply troubling communiques. Wolf-like mutants had been reported in multiple star systems, he revealed, spilling from warp rifts with hordes of demons close behind. On each occasion, the space wolves had arrived shortly afterwards to gather the beasts and carry them away. The astropath lamented that no effort had been made by these strike forces to protect imperial citizens. In some cases, they had even brought those same worthy servants of the Emperor to harm. The whispers on the warp suggested the Grey Knights had even become involved, hunting down Logan Grimnar for reasons of their own. This last terrible hint of warp-spawned connivance was enough to convince Supreme Grand Master Azriel and his brothers that they must take direct action. A long-standing rivalry existed between the Space Wolves and the Dark Angels, a sibling's quarrel that had its roots in the time when Russ and L. Johnson themselves made war in the Emperor's name. While the Inner Circle told themselves this had no effect on their decision, in truth, not a one of them could help a certain feeling of vindication at that moment. The Space Wolves, always reckless and willful, had now charged headlong into the gravest peril. Now it was up to the Dark Angels to save their wayward brothers, even should the cost prove woefully steep. Exerting his full authority, Azriel declared a crusade. The Space Wolves would not be allowed to fall into damnation. The word of a chapter master bore great weight, while the evidence assembled was enough to rouse the fears of all true defenders of the Imperium. And so it was that by the time the Dark Angels arrived in the Fenris system, they sailed at the head of a mighty fleet. Voxman Mandaxis stood, solemn and silent, swathed in the shadows of a communications pit on the cavernous bridge of the rock. Around him, servitors chattered and rune banks flashed, parchments spooled, data from the warships that even now entered orbit above the worlds of Fenris. Menials 
gathered up the scrolls by the armful, but Mandaxis stood dignified amongst the scramble. It was the hooded Seneschal's role to wait upon the word of the demigod enthroned high above. After all, Supreme Grand Master Azriel was dealing with a difficult situation. It would not do for his orders to be in any way miscommunicated. Mandaxis stifled a giggle, checking that the menials hadn't noticed. No, they were still bustling about their business. Stupid, dead-eyed cattle. But then, most humans were just that. Pompous, petty, narrow-minded, and governed by their fears. It was no wonder that one such as he could lead them by the nose. The Vox Seneschal adjusted his robes, working a crick out of his neck while being careful not to stretch his flesh unnaturally far. So limited, he thought irritably. Still, they were easy enough to wear, as Mandaxis had proven over the past weeks. Was it Brother Dolatus, tragic casualty of woven attack and absentee from the Dark Angel's Apothecarian? Or perhaps Master Astropath Ascondatus, a twister of missives and voice of counsel? None of a giggle threatened his surface, and Mandaxis clamped down on the feeling. He had worked hard to bring things to this point, and though he was just another cog in a vast machine, Mandaxis knew he was a crucial one. He had done his master's bidding, and had done it well. Yet some tasks remained before him, and they were the most crucial of all. Sobering, the thing wearing Mandaxus's flesh listened intently to the words being exchanged high up on the throne dais. He didn't need his Vox headset to hear Azrael and his aides, but the pretense was all. Matters are worse than we thought, my lord. Our librarians report a system-wide reality breach. That was the voice of Asmodai, Master Interrogator Chaplain. And the wolves, the deep, solemn voice that replied, belonged to Azrael himself. In terrible peril, my lord, as we feared. Vox intercepts suggest that beast mutants are not merely under the Space Wolf's protection. Their own battle brothers are becoming them. There was a long pause before Azrael spoke again. When he did, his voice was the cold of drawn steel in winter. We have no choice. Give the order to open fire. Pain before redemption. Pain before redemption, agreed Asmodai, passing on his lord's command. Across the Fenris system, lances flared and bombardment cannons lit with silent fire. As the Crusade fleet rained shots down upon the worlds below. Lurking in the shadows of his communications pit, the changeling pictured the carnage and smiled. Alright you lot, that's the end of part one. Part two's coming soon. For long time viewers, apologies this video's been so delayed and I haven't put much content out the last, say, ten weeks. I've had uh, a lot of personal stuff going on, which I won't go into because, uh, uh, yeah, that's, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to. It's none of your business. But uh, yeah, I've had, a, I've had a crappy couple of weeks. So apologies for, for the uh, dearth of content. More is coming now, though. Hopefully I'm back on track, kind of. I'm getting back into it. So expect more content uh, to come a bit more regular. And part two of this will come soonish. I hope you do enjoy it. I think it's an important bit of lore. 
you know, sort of around the fall of Cadia and what's happening with the Space Wolves now and the Wolven and where things stand with the Imperium. I, I feel like maybe this is a bit of a lore that's kind of been kind of forgotten. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. You'll see in the second part because it's all a bit weird. I think it's just something that just happened and no one's really done anything with it since. I don't know. Maybe they have. I don't know. I honestly don't know. There's just too much stuff recently before you go. I'm trying to keep up, you know? There's just too much stuff. Anyway, speaking of stuff and content, please do subscribe to my second channel. And also, I'm starting a Lord of the Rings channel. I'm going to do Lord of the Rings content fairly regularly. It'll kind of be like the 40k content, uh, I think. It's kind of lore videos, maybe like in-universe kind of lore videos. I'll see how things go. I haven't posted a video yet, depending on when you're watching this, obviously. At the moment, I've just set up the channel. So if you want to follow that, and follow my second channel as well, because you never know what's going to happen in this world. And it's always good to have backup. So if you would like to, you know, if anything ever happened to this channel, for whatever reason, and you would like to stay in touch with the stuff that I'm doing and whatnot, then getting onto my second channel is probably a good idea. Plus, I've also... I'm on it, basically every sort of alternative platform. I've got a presence, if you search a Border Prince on there. And uh, I also have a podcast, which is reasonably popular, um, which is audio versions of all of this stuff. So if you, if you search for a Border Prince anyway, you'll find that. Anyway, thank you to everybody supporting the channel. Your names have been scrolling by as I've been ranting. Uh, really appreciate it, particularly over the last couple of weeks. Honestly, you guys have really helped to a massive degree. Uh, YouTube members, Patreon members, and you guys over on... Um, subscribe star and if you would like to support the channel links below to use those free means there's other things you can do as well to support the channel and my work here blah de blah I hate begging sorry and that's basically what I'm doing let's be honest but uh, if you would like to help I'd appreciate it but no obligation but I would really appreciate it <laughs> and to everybody who does honestly that's bottom of my heart it really you really have helped me especially in these last couple of weeks it's it's been a great um, aid uh so yeah, uh, but yeah, I'm gonna shoot off. Please do like the video. Please subscribe if you're not subscribed. Let me know in the comments what you think. And like I say, the next one of this part two, where we see what's going on with um, the this chaos invasion that's been led by the traitors, dark angels against the, the truly noble and loyal space wolves. <laughs> it's just such a weird tale, you know. It's a weird thing this whole Warzone Fenris thing. So you'll, I think you'll enjoy what happens next. It's it's uh, I don't know. There's some just weird moments. Also, this thing with the crumb. I'm going to do something with this. For those of you, this deep lore here. This is just a rant, randomly. Deep lore here. There's a, an AI that exists in 40K that survived from the sort of dawn of human history into space, right? It's one of the original sort of AI things, right? Survivor from the dark age of technology called Crom, who exists in an eyepiece that he has fitted to people's heads. Much like this Space Wolves guy who's got a red eye lens. And he's called Crom. I'm just saying, that's something interesting going on there. I might do a quick video on that. Uh, speculating at some point. Because I think that's quite a funny thing. That I, only, I only just realised when I was reading this. Because I know he's in that game, the Sanctus Reach game. And I, was, I've, I only just realised it now. I'm like, oh yeah. Because <laughs> he's actually called Crom. Exactly the same spelling, you know. It's weird. But anyway, um, I'm going to go. Again, please do like the video. Let me know in the comments what you think. Subscribe if you haven't subscribed. Share this around if you know anyone who might enjoy this. And uh, yeah, and if you'd like to support the channel, there's various means below. And definitely do subscribe to my, my Lord of the Rings channel, Ring Posting. I'll post the link below. It'll be in the comments section and in the description. And also my backup channel, which is 
kind of just when I'm doing live streaming of game non Warhammer stuff at the moment, but it might turn into something else in the future. But it's if you are, if you want to keep up with what I'm doing, if anything was to ever happen, that's these these two are the places to go to, and you can find me basically everywhere on the internet where there is a you know any other websites and stuff. Um, yeah, and Facebook and bloody bloody blah. Oh, I'm gonna go. See, it's been a while since I've done this. So I forgot how to. I forgot how to sign off with these things quickly. <laughs> Next one coming soon. See you later. Ta-ra.